Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Today's episode of Grill and JR is brought to you by our friends at Collar and Elbow. You've probably seen these cool shirts, but what you may not realize is that Collar and Elbow was founded by Al Snow and based on his love of professional wrestling, which, you know, we've talked about here on the program before. And if you're tired of wearing a picture of a half naked, sweaty man on your shirt, check out the subtle designs by Collar and Elbow. Give them a follow on social media at Collar X Elbow and head over to collarandelbowbrand.com and use promo code JR and check out to get 20% off your entire order. That's collar and elbow brand.com. That's collar and elbow brand.com. Use that promo code JR and you get 20% off. Collar and elbow is where wrestling passion meets street fashion. Support a good brother and Al Snow. Go check out collar and elbow brand.com. Use that promo code JR to get 20% off your entire order. Now, grilling JR. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to Grilling JR with the voice of professional wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, I'm good, baby. I am so good today. I had a great weekend. I've had a, I've, I've been uh, busy and good busy, uh, working on our book. I just got off the phone today with a long, uh, conference call with Paul O'Brien yeah, that we talk uh, at least once or twice a week. The book's coming along very well. Still going to be out in uh, March of 2020 around WrestleMania time, ironically. So I, like many other folks in the wrestling biz, will be taking advantage of the large crowd that will descend on Tampa St. Pete uh, for WrestleMania next year. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll soak up some of the leftovers. And uh, so we're going to book signings there and all that good stuff. But the book has come along great. Uh, I, we have an exciting weekend. You and I got an exciting weekend this week because we're going we're gonna to see each other on beginning on Thursday. and in Charlotte and I hope that folks will get their tickets to come see us on Saturday night. I just got a feeling that there's was so many great talents there at g- gathering Conrad. We should have a star studded show that if folks don't come to it and we're just damn sure affordable, you're already there. Part of you, uh, that they're going to re- regret missing it because I got a feeling it's going to be special. I, I agree totally. And, and this is something you don't want to miss because we're not filming this. We're not recording it. We're not posting it to social media. Uh, this is a show that it will be very unique because of all the legends that are there 
and uh jim's fired up and opinionated these days you don't want to miss it go get your tickets right now jr and conrad.com is where you can go it's jr and conrad.com and by the way it is a huge res- wrestling legend gathering it's actually called the gathering and they have a wrestling show on saturday night and immediately following the wrestling show you'll get to see jr do his thing and of course we've got meet and greets you can get your pictures with jim you can get your autographs and the rumor and innuendo is there might even be some sauce and books there come see us it's right there in charlotte flair country if you will at the hilton charlotte university place location and tickets are on sale now at jr and conrad.com and we ought to mention uh, a shout out to a great friend of the show and your longtime friend, Mr. Stone Cold Steve Austin, back on TV. How about that? Yeah, great deal. He's got a unique show that I think fits into a T. Uh, and he's all over. He's involved in the production of it, creative of it. I'm happy for him. Steve has found his niche doing reality television. He's good at it. He enjoys it, which is the main thing, because he damn sure don't need the money. Uh, but he loves working. He's a busy guy. He's just blue, he's still blue collar Steve. And so, uh, that's, it's going to be airing folks in the States, uh, right after on the USA network, right after raw on Monday night. So, uh, check it out when you can. I'm sure that there's a lot of ways to watch it. Uh, and you know, after the original air date, but, uh, I, I enjoy it. It's on my DVR list. That's how I remember to watch it. I, I record it because I don't watch raw every week anymore. Shock. Uh, I, I watch some, I sample. And so good luck to Steve. And he started off in a great way. And speaking of, uh, Conrad, you and I were talking just a little bit before we started this recording about SummerSlam. Uh, I thought SummerSlam of what I saw, and I'm not going to be, uh, I want to be totally transparent. I didn't watch it from start to finish. Uh, just out of time restraints for me on Sunday with other issues to deal with. Uh, but I thought they had a real strong show. Uh, and that, uh, I liked the fact that they were, they used, there was an ample amount of real finishes thought that was good. Uh, I thought that the announcers were less dependent on telling their goddamn backstories during the height of action. You know, they, they got to stop doing that. And, and, and if we start doing that at AEW, then shame on my ass. Well, you've got to stay in the moment of what we're seeing, what your eyes are processing. Your ears have got to hear. You can't give me backstory in the height of, uh, of live fire. So, uh, and I thought the announcers did a good job in that regard. So, uh, good show. I thought Charlotte and uh, Chris had a very emotional match. Charlotte's a great heel. You know, when she stood there, I thought back to WrestleMania 18 when Lawler and I were at ringside with Hogan and Rock standing in the ring, that uh, when Charlotte was standing there at the very beginning of the match with kind of a quasi face-off with Trish, who they gave the opportunity to step up in the within arm's reach of Charlotte, good baby face move in her hometown, uh, that uh, I felt Hoganish. I felt that Charlotte was not me. That uh, Charlotte was Hoganish, big, blonde, great body, skilled, over, talented. Uh, it just reminded me of something special. So, not that she was Hulk Hogan, but what Hulk Hogan represented in his era to his to the to his peers. I think that's what Charlotte does now. She's the top of her game. She's the best female uh, uh, wrestler, entertainer, performer that the WWE is likely ever seen, maybe ever will. You hope not, but likely ever. And uh, then she's got her Rocky there, uh, Dwayne, i.e. Uh, uh, Trish Stratus. Tr- yeah, Trish, Trish Stratus on that night. But she's got her other w- regular one in Becky Lynch. Right. So there's a two-headed monster there for WWE. It's a real good deal. And, the, and that division has probably been the most impressive thing, I think, since uh, the WWE's done 
in the last couple of years has developed their female division. And Charlotte stands at the top of that and is the linchpin. All, every woman that's listening to this that thinks I want to be a wrestler, watch how her watch how she watch how she operates athletically and realistically. She's a very special talent. And I know her dad's happy. Uh, my God, nature's and I guess he got out of Canada all right because he he, <laughs> he looked like he was having a whole lot of fun, and I'm happy for that. Absolutely, he was, and and we hope that everybody had a hell of a lot of fun at SummerSlam. We originally had hoped to make it up for a show. The timing didn't work out, but don't worry. While Jr. is down there in Tampa signing some books, we're going to have a live show come WrestleMania, uh, and we've got a hell of an August lined up for you. At the end of the month, of course, we're going to be covering Mr. C and Punk. Uh, next week we'll be visiting SummerSlam 2009, but today it's all about Q and a, we took to social media and said, Hey, ask if you've got a question for Jim use ask Jr. And, uh, we got tons of questions from both Facebook and Twitter. Uh, let's get right into it. Jim, are you ready? I'm ready, sir. John Ray wants to know, can you tell us of any wrestlers that just did not get along at all? That's a pretty broad question, but it is a fun one because I know there have been certain affiliations or associations where for whatever reason, these guys just did not click and it happened almost on day one. Well, uh, I always felt it challenging to get along with the late ultimate warrior. Uh, you know, great body. We all know what he is. He, you know, he's an icon. Vince booked him very astutely. He was put in a position way beyond uh, his skill level, but he thought he was good. And sometimes, uh, Jim Helwig was not the easiest person to get along with. I thought that he, uh, uh, said some things that were just uncomfortable more often than not. So of all the people I look back on, I don't remember him having any, and it's kind of sad in a way. I don't remember him having any real close, uh, go-to guys or people of the company when he was there. And, uh, it just, it was never a good fit when he came back. I didn't know him in his first run. The second run, uh, when he finally, he beat triple H in a, in a WrestleMania match, WrestleMania 12, maybe. Yep. That's 12. Uh, and in LA, uh, uh, it was sad in a sense that nobody wanted to be around him. Right. His, he just, he, he said things that were off color and, uh, uh, you know, so we can all defend him by saying, oh, he was just outspoken. He had a strong mind. He had a great, but sometimes you got to know your audience as Vince used to tell me all the time. So warriors comes to mind to answer that question. Well, there are, are there two guys though, that just, they just didn't get along. Like you just knew you got to keep them separated. Here's an example. 1997, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. Hey, that shit ain't never going to work for whatever reason. It's uh, oil and water or whatever that old expression is. Well, can you think of any other? Hmm. Well, uh, no, not really. Cause you tried to, you tried to dissuade that, you know, even after, uh, Sean and Brett had their altercation there in, uh, Connecticut at the TV taping, uh, that were, you know, it was it, where Pat Patterson tried to break it up. It was kind of funny in a way, but, uh, they all went down the heap. And I, I told Pat after I said, you're in heaven, weren't you lay between Brett and Sean, <laughs> please. He would say, oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, it, but yeah, no, nothing, nothing was that intense as Sean and Brett that actually had a fight. Uh, I remember a fight years ago with, uh, uh, Butch Reed and John Nord, Nord, the barbarian that started in Oklahoma city and ended in Tulsa, uh, because Watts insisted on the scene, the fight end. And those guys faces are also swelled up and cut and beat up and battered and bruised that, uh, they didn't really want to re-engage. So I think he let them off the hook there. Uh, but nonetheless, 
the Brett Sean thing was the most intense, most personal as it got uh, that I can recall. But the warrior would be the one guy that stood out that just was so polarizing. It was, it was almost the, to the borderline of being sad. Let's get to uh, Don Keller on Facebook. He asks, who does Jim think is the greatest ladies man in professional wrestling history? Not named Ric Flair, <laughs> not named Ric Flair. Oh my God. There's a lot of those dudes. Uh, the rock and roll express did pretty good back in their day. <laughs> uh, and that's a double header there with Ricky and Robert. Uh, I know, uh, Robert. So it's Robert's funny. Robert, Robert was an iron man boy. He, I mean, he, he would, he would, he'd get up to the plate multiple times a, a night. Yep. Oh yeah. And this is before Bluetooth. Ricky told me a gr- one of the funniest jokes I'd ever heard years ago. He said, uh, you know, the difference between me and Robert. And I said, what's that? And he said, I walk up and put it in. Robert puts it in and walks up. <laughs> hey, <laughs> there's something to be said about junior junior has his own fan club. I think that's the, that may be the, uh, the, uh, member of, uh, uh Robert Gibson is penis nicknamed junior. That could be on a t-shirt too. Mine's named junior or whatever, but, uh, he put anything on a black t-shirt anymore. It's going to sell, uh, seems like, but, no, but Ricky and Robert were, Hey, they were notorious. Uh, Terry Taylor was a pretty good ladies man. Uh, back in the, in those days, the, uh, I guess in modern day, uh, Carlito might be at the head of the list. Wow. How about that? Yeah. If he's not, he's in, he's in rarefied air. Cause he, he did quite well. I mean, he did really well with some of the most beautiful women to ever, uh, get into the wrestling business back in that, uh, attitude era and beyond Carlito was, uh, was uh, ubiquitous to say the least. I think, uh, it's fair to say that last question was brought to you by bluechew.com and they offer men a performance enhancement for the bedroom. So if you're looking to last a little longer or go a few extra rounds, well, bluechew.com can hook you up, baby. It's the world's first chewable that has the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. And it's much, much easier to get than those two, because you can go to a bluechew.com affiliated physician right now at bluechew.com. They'll work with you, find the right dosage, find the right active ingredient. And if you qualify, you'll be prescribed very quickly. It's going to show up to you without the awkward conversation, without the in-person doctor visit, no more waiting in line at the pharmacy. Nope. It's at your front door, all in discreet packaging, but maybe best of all, chewables can work faster than pills, even up to twice as fast. You can take them on a full or empty stomach. And how about it's free, this online physician consult. So it's going to save you some cash there. So, uh, it's cheaper. It's faster. It's easier. Why wouldn't you give it a try? Do what everybody in wrestling is doing. Chew it and do it. And how about try it for free? You know, it's good when they say, just try it for free. And if you like it, come on back. You'll right. be back. It's bluechew.com. The promo code is JR. And all you've got to do is pay the shipping. And I know a lot of times people have fun with these commercials and Lord knows we do too, but Jim, this stuff really works. Doesn't it? That's the bottom line. As old stone cold would say, uh, it works and, uh, it has never failed in any of my experiences with it. Uh, you know, I, uh, my dad would say, well, son, I know this. Thanks to blue chew. You got plenty of lead in your pencil. Now you fat little bastard. You just need somebody to write to. <laughs> well, if you've got somebody to write to, go to bluechew.com. Use that promo code JR. You'll be glad you did. You're, and your total investment is five bucks. Yeah. I mean, come on. You've paid a lot more than that for, well, you know. Uh, Will, you know. Will Fonder you know. wants to know uh, during your time as head of talent relations, who were some of the easiest talents to work with and who were some of the most difficult? And of course, he knows that it's all going to come down to the two C's, cash and creative. 
Right. Uh, who are the easiest? Who are the most challenging from your experience? Uh, Undertaker was easy to work with because he was honest and he looked in the eye and talked to you and without an agenda. Uh, very, uh, very good to work with in that respect. Uh, believe it or not, Austin was one of the more challenging guys because Steve had this, uh, that DTA thing, that gimmick he had, don't trust anybody was not really a gimmick. I don't think he trusted anybody. And so, uh, you know, I, I may have become the closest guy that he trusted in that entire company over the years, which I'm proud to say, and we're still friends, but he was, he was challenging to, to work with, you know, uh, I remember one time, uh, I, I can't remember if he got, it was in Houston. It seemed like at a pay-per-view or something. And he was just getting hot. And, uh, he was going to be really, really extraordinary. Once we convinced him that being a baby face is okay. Cause all the merch you're going to sell is going to make up for any of your, uh, philosophical, uh, shortcomings as you might perceive them. And, uh, he told me he, he figured out what he's making this year and, uh, he didn't like it and he was unhappy. And you know, this WCW is in business. He'd already been there. So I said, look, I can handle this problem, but you have to trust me that I can handle this problem and I can handle this problem today. Now, what else do you need me to do other than go handle the problem? And that was it. So I go to Vince and say, Hey, look, here's the deal. Here's what he's going to make. Uh, we both know he's worth more than that. We both know the next year where his booking is going to go. He's going to make a lot more money. How much is unknown, but he's going to make a lot more. So Vince says, well, what do you think we should do? And I said, I think we should give him a new contract and raise his downside so that he knows that bottom line, bottom line, he's going to make this much, this much money in a, in a 12 month period, no matter if he draws or he doesn't draw, whether he's hurt or he's not hurt. This is the money. So Vince would do it. So I go back to Steve and I said, I'm going to, I don't, I can't write a contract here in the building, but I'm going to, I'm going to shake your hand and tell you, here's the deal we have for you that will get done uh, this week, but we've got to get, we're here today, Sunday. We got nobody here to do it. And he understood, he shook my hand, looked me in the eye and, and, uh, we've been looking at each other in the eye ever since, but he was dawning. And a lot of the guys that are smarter, that really understand the business and creative and things of those nature, they're the ones you can't BS. And Steve could not be BS. He understood. Uh, I always thought that the rock was a little challenging sometimes because of the same reason he was a perfectionist. He asked a lot of questions. You know, I remember he and I having one time, a long discussion about how we determine, uh, uh, the, uh, discretionary payoffs because he was interested in how much, how he got paid and what it was based on uh, and logical questions that any entrepreneurial, uh, uh, independent contract we should and want to know. Sure. And he, he did. So, uh, but other than that, you know, you, th there was always guys that, uh, you know, you can throw guys on the bus, but there's all guys are always complaining about one of the two C's. Oh yeah. That was, that was the gig, man. I'm not making enough money or I don't like my spot. Well, if you give anybody an idea, let them what you could do with your character. No, then shut the fuck up. You come to work with like a cabbage, all head, no rear end. There's just no reason for it. Give something, throw something in a pile here. See if something will come out of it. But, uh, that was a commonplace. That was some more common than not, but the, the great talents are easy to work with. You know, uh, uh, like I said, taker was, taker was so imp imp important for that to be him that because he it fed down to other talents. Other talents looked at Undertaker, like many of them look at Ron Simmons. That he was kind of the guy. So, uh, anyhow, uh, uh, anyway, I, that's that's how that worked. I, I love Taker in that regard, but 
we, we really, you know, here's the thing. I had this Jimmy Johnson, former coach of Cowboys philosophy. If I can't solve your problem, we have, we have no other choice but to eliminate it. So most guys were able to get their problems solved, adjust their thinking and be more progressive in, in giving ideas and for their own character. So, uh, it's like a great singer. You're, you're pissed off cause you hadn't had a hit, but you're singing somebody else's music. You still got a good voice. So go write something, go create something, give yourself something to do in that regard. So that was kind of the, that's how I looked at that with him. Uh, what, but Taker was just so great cause everybody would go to him and say, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? He was a great conduit for me. He, he solved a lot of issues because talents would listen to him before they would listen to administration, including myself. Great question here from Marlon. Uh, who are some of the mixed martial artists who you feel like could have thrived in professional wrestling and vice versa? Seeing Kane Velasquez do so well in his debut has me wondering how would a Frank Shamrock or an Anderson Silva have done compared to say a Ken Shamrock or a Matt Riddle? Uh, I think that's a fun question. You, you watch enough UFC to know what's going mm. around. Um, you know, Bellator and everybody else too, but hypothetically, is there anybody that you look at and say, boy, that guy could have been one of the boys. Easy for me. Uh, Chael Sonnen would have been a natural. Oh yeah. Uh, natural. Uh, what do you got to teach him? Just the basic fundamentals of, uh, pro wrestling application. Can he talk? Damn right. Does he look decent? Absolutely. But he would have been really, really good if he had committed to getting into that world of pro wrestling and not followed his, uh, chosen path in MMA. He's a great broadcaster too, by the way, get him a, get him a foothold in, uh, wrestling. So that people have some confidence and some, uh, he has credibility in their world of uh, have some product knowledge. He could eventually become a phenomenal color analyst in my view. So Chael Sonnen stands out uh, prominently. I think Kane Velasquez has this animal magnetism, but the fact that he debuted at the biggest event in uh, Mexico, a uh, huge event or triple mania, right? Uh, that he is a, uh, but he's also, you, know, you had noticed Velasquez is not Irish. He's a Mexican and he's a, he's a powerhouse and he's, he's a beloved figure because of his MMA ex, exploits and victories and, and triumphs as a the heavyweight champion of the USC. So he, that was a kind of a, a, a nice, he debuted in the right place, the right time, the right event with the right people. He got Bookwell. Good job. Triple A. Good job. But, but, uh, I think Chael kind of stands out above the crew in my view as being an, almost tailor, re, tailor made and ready to be a viable pro wrestler. If he had chosen that direction. Fun question here. What are your thoughts on Lance Hoyt, Archer, Dallas, whatever you want to call him. Uh, of course, I think a lot of people are keeping up with how he's doing in new Japan right now, but maybe in a prior lifetime, he was uh, a standout in TNA and he's bounced around a little bit. Um, the question here from Arlen, I think he's long been one of the most underrated big men in wrestling and his performances in the G one this year is really showcasing that fact. What does his future look like to you, JR bright? Uh, I, I like the, I like his upside. Uh, you know, he's, uh, his maturity level is, uh, is marketable size. You can't coach size. He's got that. He's athletic for a big man. Uh, I'd love to call some of this more of his matches someday. Uh, hinting that I wish he was a member of AEW at some point in time. I don't know if that's possible contractually or philosophically or any of those reasons. I'm not hiring talent. I don't, I don't, that's not my gig. Uh, but I could see, uh, worse hires being made, uh, going forward than a, a six, six or six, seven inch, uh, 
uh, athletic heavyweight uh, that, you know, we don't have a lot of those body types right now in AEW. So I always hold out hope that maybe Lance can join the team one of these days, but that's not my call and time will tell, but he's a, he's a keeper. I like his work. Hey guys, are you looking for a great father's day gift idea? I know I was, and I found it a couple of years ago with paint your life with paint your life. You get a hand painted portrait created to fit almost any budget. And it's a great gift idea for your mom, your dad, or both. You see, paint your life transforms your photos into a one of a kind, beautiful hand painted portrait done by professional artists. You can upload a photo to create anything you can imagine, maybe in a special location or a favorite pet. There's lots of options. You pick the artist, the medium, and you even get to work with the artist to make sure it's perfect. You get started in less than five minutes and you can get the portrait in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded guaranteed. And right now as a limited time offer, get 20% off. That's right. 20% off and free shipping to get this special offer. Text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text Ross to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, Michael McCurdy wants to know, what is Jim's opinion of the current independent wrestling scene? Jim, do you keep up with many independent wrestling shows these days? I, I get when people send me tapes. Our, uh, our talent, send me something to look at or give them some advice. I do that a lot. I actually do that with some WWE people right now off the record, uh, cause they trust my, my, they're friends. They trust my opinion and maybe they're not getting that opinion elsewhere. Who knows? Uh, but, uh, I, I do follow independent wrestling because everybody now has seemingly has a voice to some degree on it, streaming or whatever, whatever it is, it's accessible. I think the business seems to be healthy in that regard. A lot of guys are, are, are getting work. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a cool thing. So yeah, it's healthier than it's ever been in my career. I could tell you that. Fun question here from, uh, Don Keller again, he wants to know what is the worst gimmick match that Jr. has ever seen? So I don't think he means necessarily a specific match, but just a concept. Maybe it was. Cole miners glove, Judy Bagwell on a forklift, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That forklift match probably wouldn't rank too high on my book. Uh, well, you know, it's any of these, any of these matches can, can suck if they're not executed properly and you can it, but you still at the bottom at the end of the day, as the old cowboy used to say, you can't shine shit. Uh, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, I'm trying to think what really was. I guess that, uh, kennel kennel, kennel from, yeah. yeah, that kennel from hell match was that I remember calling was, was daunting to get through and, uh, just was one of those bad ideas, much like I thought the brawl for all was kind of a lousy concept, but, uh, it's all a matter of execution. And if the brawl for all had come off smoother and had, had we hadn't had so many injuries, 
then then maybe that would have been a better deal, but nobody got over. Not one person got over in the brawl for it all. Butterbean, we, he wasn't going to work for us. Butterbean, Butterbean got over. Nobody else got over. And we had a lot of injuries, so a lot of medical bills. So how could that be considered a successful idea? It wasn't. But I, I, that there's, it's all a matter of execution, quite frankly. And, you know, but some things you just can't shine shit on. And we've all seen a lot of those. Well, and I feel like we should mention right now that something else we can't shine up is a bad decision. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed. And let's take a moment here to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes, even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In fact, in 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. Not so harmless after all, is it? And get this from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among killed drivers in, in crashes doubled. The truth is driving while high is deadly. So stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from either alcohol or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different, drive high, get a DUI, drive sober or get pulled over. Let's go to another question here from Twitter. Uh, (laughs) are we ever going to get a mid South UWF episode similar to Bruce Pritchard's Houston wrestling episode. I think that sounds like fun, Jim. Would you want to do a whole episode just about mid South and the UWF? Sure. Absolutely. And I can assure you that it'd be more interesting than Bruce's. Oh, I love you for that. Uh, here's a fun one. This is Casey <laughs> Lilback. He says, if you could slap one person you've dealt with in the wrestling business and have no repercussions, who would it be? And why God almighty. What a society we live in. If you could take a shit on anybody <laughs> in the world without repercussions, <laughs> who would you teabag? God, I need to slap one person. First of all, I ain't a slapper. I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. Come on, slap somebody <laughs> because we didn't agree on a, uh, on a play fight scenario. Stop it. No slapping. There's no slapping in my life. Now, if forced, I would punch somebody. But I'm going to have a hard time slapping somebody. So that's not me. I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> uh, Mikey wants to know were there any announcers, Spanish or otherwise, who were ever injured from some of the crazy announce table bumps? Seems like sometimes you guys were pretty exposed in those situations. I don't think anything over a few bumps and bruises, hurt feelings, maybe. You know, uh, I, I got messed up but doing a New Japan match in the Cow Palace that time where the, where the railings weren't connected and, uh, uh, juice Robinson and Jay, uh, juice and, and uh, Jay white, uh, came through the railing, which is unconnected. As I mentioned, hit the table that I was sitting behind with Josh Barnett, knocked me out of the table, came back and hit me in the, in the right below my, my boobs, which on some days are way down there, but right in my, right in my sternum. Uh, broke a rib, bruised a lung, uh, kind of got screwed up, knocked my ass on the concrete floor, uh, and finished the show. Uh, that was, uh, that was the only time that I, and I had some issues after that, but, but just it was the healing basically. But other than that, I don't, I think we all got lucky there pretty much. You know, we most often, more often than not, 
you could sense or got a clue, uh, a, a clue that somebody's coming your way. Uh, you know, the only, I didn't know that Mick Foley was going to be what he did in the, in the hell of a cell. We talked about that, but more often than not, you kind of had a hint, you know, like the Foley thing, looking, I'm looking straight up and there he was on the edge of the case. I'm thinking sure as hell he ain't going to compete ain't going to fall. I think he could survive that. I'm thinking to myself and lo and behold, here it came. So, uh, but we're lucky, I think in that regard. And I think they're, 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 uh, careful now how they do that because especially on raw, cause you got Renee there. And, uh, there's no reason to jeopardize a female or anybody, especially a woman that might not be as strong and able to withstand, uh, some of that stuff, the, the inadvertent contact. So I think we all got pretty lucky. The, if anybody was going to get battered and bruised, it might've been, uh, uh, Carlos Cabrera and Hugo Savinovich back in the day, because they, the Spanish announce table seemed to be the destination for a lot of act- activity. Let's talk a little bit about, um, this is a fun question from Tony. Jim Cornette recently told the story when you interviewed New Jack for the first time in Smoky Mountain. Can you share your initial reaction to New Jack and the gangsters in SMW? Uh, very charismatic. Uh, New Jack, very charismatic, very controversial, uh, a very attitudinal. And, you know, uh, but off camera, uh, he and his, his, uh, his unit, his faction were very, uh, professional to me, respectful, more importantly, but you know, there's always that little unknown. I never interviewed the guy before. Uh, you know, I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't know him. He knew me cause he's a wrestling fan. He'd been a fan of my work over the years. And, uh, but I no nothing really controversial. I was not a major proponent and taking his, uh, character as deep as it went at times, because I thought it sometimes it became distracting because it became a more of an issue about, uh, racial things than a personal issue between he and the, his opponent who they were trying to sell tickets with at a live event or TV or whatever. But I had no issues with new Jack. You know, I know others have apparently have, have had over the years, not me. Uh, I find that more, more often than not folks. If you treat people like you want to be treated, they'll reciprocate. And if they don't, just don't deal with them. Don't try to change them. Just don't deal with their ass. Disconnect. Boom. You're gone. But he was fine to me. I love, and I love this. Hey, he was, I'll tell you this about the guy. He believed in what he was doing, whether what he was doing was perfectly politically correct, blah, blah, blah. Obviously it wasn't, but he believed in what he was doing. And that came across on television. He came across as a dangerous person human being fun question here. Uh, this is from our friend, bad money. Slim. He says, knowing you've eaten your fair share of chocolate cake in your life. I have to ask, what's your favorite city to enjoy chocolate cake? Norman, Oklahoma in my home. <laughs> uh, you gotta watch that chocolate cake. You know, like, you can't, you can't, you can't consume too much. It's not good for your diet. Look, uh, I am an advocate that, uh, Cannabis is a, uh, can be used medically in a very strategic way. All I can tell you is that, uh, back in the day when I was self-medicating, I just got through writing about that, uh, in WWE where I was on a lot of, uh, uh, when my stomach was all screwed up I didn't know what it was, but then a belly ache, I had more than a belly ache. That's what I convinced myself I had. So I'm drinking Pepto-Bismol like I'm going to the electric chair thinking that's going to help. Uh, but I think, uh. The, the advent of what we're learning about, uh, 
CVD oil and, and other uh, applications of cannabis that I am no longer on any uh, uh, opiates. I no longer do Xanax. I am no longer on Ambien. and no longer on any pain pills. And I, I attribute that to the treatment I'm getting uh, naturally uh, through the CBD oil and the cannabis itself. Uh, but I think people automatically say, well, it's just JR driving down the road in Norman smoking a big old doobie. That don't happen either. But the bottom line of it is I figured a way to, to, in, to enjoy what a, a, a little, you know, delicacies to my, me, to my, for my life at this point and uh, to help me with some of my ailments. And I'm glad I'm not doing any of those drugs anymore. I'm not going to do those drugs anymore because I found what works for me. And it's very organic and very natural. Whitaker wants to know if you could pick one wrestler from the past in their prom and one wrestler from today to have a match, who would it be? Uh, I would love to see uh, Jack Briscoe wrestle Kurt angle. Wow. Uh, I would love to see that. Uh, I would love to see a young vibrant Mick Foley against Bruiser Brody. Uh, uh, gosh, I'd love to see, uh, Danny Hodge and Brock Lesnar from my own shits and giggles. Jerry Briscoe and I were talking the other day. He said, Hodge would do really, really well against Brock. We said, but finally the size would be too over overwhelming, but he didn't tell me that with a lot of way. Well, he was, he was pretty convinced that was true. His, his, he just says Brock's too big and too strong and knows how to wrestle Hodge. Of course. Uh, you know, Hodge, he was, Hodge is a natural 177 pounder. Brock's probably a natural 277 pounder. So there's an issue there, but I would love to see him go. Cause I did get to see the, uh, Lesnar angle, uh, impromptu workout in South Dakota, where the hell it was. And that was just so much fun to watch until I got my ass chewed out for letting it happen. Fun question here. Uh, Nate wants to know who is the, who has the most protected finisher in the history of wrestling. And of course, what we're talking about there is for years and years, Jake Roberts would hit the DDT and that meant the end. Nobody was getting up on the other channel. They did that with the diamond cutter. Is there a move that you think, Hey, that's probably the most protected finisher in the history of the business, whatever it may be. Maybe the stunner, uh, in recent years, last, you know, two couple of decades. And I say that with a little backup from this week, uh, watching Kevin Owens, uh, did a, a zillion finishes on Shane McMahon. Seem I'm exaggerating. He did multiple finishes on Shane McMahon, uh, at SummerSlam before he hit the, the stunner. And I said, well, there's no way that the company's going to let Shane kick out of Steve Austin's stunner, uh, as, uh, delivered by Kevin Owens. And they didn't. So the stunner is probably certainly one of them, but over the years, to the detriment of, uh, the business, in my opinion, uh, kicking out of established finishers has become a trend. And so then to the guy that's doing the honors, doesn't want to look quote unquote weak by losing to a guy's finish, which I think is, is amazingly hypocritical, egocentric and weak. So then to, you got to use the guy's finish. You got to use your finish on a guy multiple times for it to finally soak in and beat him because that's how tough he is. Whereas if the story was told better, getting to the, the destination, the destination being the finish, then the finish would have been enough. But we really bastardized that in a lot of ways where, you know, it, and, and I tell you what it does, Conrad, it takes away some of the anticipation for the near fall. Uh, you just, you know, it's, it's not a, 
you get you get me there, then you stop. It's like it's like a blue chewing yourself up and then get a phone call. Not good timing. Fun question here uh, from Jay Effing. Why did Michael P.S. Hayes never get a world title run? And I know it's easy for us to make jokes there, but once upon a time, man, that dude was talking him into the seats. Why don't you think it was ever his turn? Michael's always known as a tag team guy uh, of all the free birds. And Michael probably would admit this. Uh, if he didn't, I don't care, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, he, he was known as a, of all the three, free birds or the four, four, including Jimmy Garvin. It's easy to, for anybody to say Michael was the, uh, least skilled in ring performer of the, of the four. Terry Gordy was uh, amazing. Best teenage big man I ever saw in my life. Uh, buddy Roberts was so underrated. Buddy Roberts was like a, uh, a version of Pat Patterson in the sense that he could have a great match with any body and was, and so he was so instrumental was buddy and how the, the free bird success and Jimmy Garvin was just a terrific performer of all those four guys, Michael would be fourth on the list. So I think there was a connotation. Michael's better as a tag guy because that's what he spent most of his career doing. And then because of lifestyle issues back in those days. Uh, he might not have been a good risk. So, uh, and that was a big thing back in the day. So, but you know, I'm not saying he wouldn't have done a good job. We don't know, but I think those are the reasons, uh, you know, was the skill set in the ring good enough to be a champion? Absolutely. No doubt. I think it might've been the reliability aspect. And what have I said here, Conrad, what's the number one trait about recruiting a wrestler? Reliability, baby. And maybe the, some of those promoters didn't think Michael could, uh, uh, you know, could was reliable enough at that stage of his life. Question here from friend of the show, AJ Kirsch. He says, I asked Bruce Pritchard this question recently, and I would love to ask you the same at this stage of your career. What excites you the most when you show up for work? Well, uh, for me and AEW, it's the youthful enthusiasm of our roster. You know, I'm the oldest dude there. You know, I walk in and I'm, I'm a uh, uncle Jr. Everybody, I guess which I love. I love the mentorship. I love coaching. I love making these kids better and believe that they can be great and live great dreams and have, and, and build a fortune for themselves and provide their families better. I love being a part of that. So the, for AEW, it's the, it's the somewhat of the mystery of the unknown. Cause I don't know where we're going. I don't, I'm not, I don't sit in creative meetings. I, I saw something uh, that Dave Meltzer printed the other day about where one of our TVs are going to be. Hell, I didn't know that. I think Boston, we're going to go to Boston for one of these TVs coming up. So, but I, I'm not as connected as I was in WWE by choice, but I love the enthusiasm and the freshness and the ability to grow a brand and become something special potentially, uh, in a AEW a great deal. Now, when you and I go out on the road and whether we're going to be in Charlotte or, uh, Rochester or, or wherever me in Harrisburg. I love, that's a whole different love. That's a whole different, a whole different animal because that's truly J.R. and Conrad creating their own content based on the questions and the interaction we have with our audience. That's a whole different perception. It's a whole different enjoyment. And if you come to one of our shows, you'll see exactly that. And, uh, it feels like a good place to plug that it's happening this weekend, this Saturday night. Don't miss it. J.R. and Conrad.com coming to Charlotte and, uh, you don't want to miss us. Wooly writes, you've mentioned that championships don't mean anything anymore. 
uh, which I would agree with, but how do you go about reestablishing them as must see TV when a title is on the line? And secondly, what is your favorite belt of all time? We'll, we'll go in reverse order. What's your favorite belt ever? JR the old, uh, NWA, uh, title, the 10 pounds Sm- of gold. Yeah. Smaller, compact, neat, classy. It wasn't uh, bodacious or Austin, you know, uh, Austin, is that ostentatious? Is that a word? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it looked real sports. Uh, I don't, I just loved it because it was a, it was an, that belt became synonymous with an era where there wasn't a, a title change every couple of weeks. Seemingly I'm being exaggerating the issue of title. I don't think there are too many titles, Conrad, in a sense that if they were all, uh, had a, their own story they're all, uh, uh, nurtured developed and not an afterthought in perception, but that's not the way it is in wrestling. I also think that, uh, title changes, uh, rapid fire, uh, is a way of hot shotting, lazy booking and a lack of creative, uh, uh, uh content. Uh, so I, that's why my issue is the titles. Uh, I don't know why WWE, for example, needs a, a WWE title and a universal title. And because Brock Lesnar and now the, the, uh, Seth Rollins has it. The universal title is seemingly more higher position than the, the established WWE championship. And I don't get that, but that's not for me to understand, but I think that's the whole issue. Too many changes, too many belts that are just props. They become props and not prizes. Fun question here. My question uh, for Jr. is about the Jeff Hardy undertaker ladder match. It contained my favorite JR call ever climb the ladder kid, make yourself famous. Do you remember whose idea this match was? Oh, I'm assuming, uh, somebody in creative, uh, had the idea. I can guarantee your ass that undertaker had a hand in it because he, he, he actually participated in what he did. He had, you know, he had something to say to add to the, to the match. And of course, Jeff Hardy was just so excited about the opportunity to wrestle the undertaker in a, in a one-on-one match on raw live that, uh, he was, he was up for about anything. So it was a, it was a great, uh, cooperative effort by both guys and undertaker made Jeff Hardy a star that night. Now that could be argued by, well, he made it, he was made a star at a TLC man. He was, all those guys were, all those guys were edge and Christian Dudley's. they all became famous for the TLC matches and they deserved the fame, but for Jeff on his own, without Matt there, without a tag environment. This was it. This was the big moment in my view. And, uh, I said that I don't have any, it just came to me. Uh, I was wrapped up in the match, loving every minute of it. I goddamn sure wasn't giving backstory when they're climbing the ladder. I was trying to get you excited on the edge of your seat because something was about to happen. The false finishes in a ladder match are getting on the ladder. So it's a, it's a tough match to call in that respect because pinfalls and submissions mean nothing. Uh, so, uh, I, I thought that that was, a uh, Jeff Hardy's one of his greatest moments as a single, uh, even over winning a title dancing with the undertaker, uh, the way he did was uh, pretty sensational. I'll never forget that match. It's really, it, it was really, really extraordinary. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen.
it was an interesting piece of booking at the time. And I, I remember like where I was when that match was happening, it really stood out. And I bet everyone out there listening to this show right now, as we're reminiscing about the business at one point thought to themselves, how cool it would be to be the head booker and sort of run your own wrestling promotion. Well, what if I told you there was a mobile game out there? That's both a booking simulator and a collectible card game that gives you total control over your own wrestling promotion and an entire universe of larger than life characters. And just because this game is totally radical, it's set in the eighties and nineties, also known as the two greatest decades in the history of pro wrestling and pop culture. The game of course is called eighties mania wrestling returns. And uh, we should remind you as thousands of our listeners discovered last week, 80s mania wrestling returns is free to play and the developers are constantly updating the game with new characters and new features based on that user feedback so just search for 80s mania wrestling returns in the app store or in the google play store and once you've played through the tutorial head to the settings screen and enter our cheat code grilling that's g-r-i-l-l-i-n-g like grilling jr and you'll unlock a bunch of wrestler cards and game cash wrestling fans pop culture fans 80s and 90s nostalgia fans check this game out you will not regret it 80s mania wrestling returns jim i got a ton of good feedback on this last week when we promoted this game for the first time our listeners are really digging it they are i got some too conrad and uh, it's good to see that people actually tried something that we endorsed and they liked it right away this is going to be a big hit folks this game is really cool and if you're a studious fan, you're always thinking, "I wonder if we did this, what if we did that." You'll see how you, you'll see how hard booking is, because you'll see there's not a one-off deal unless you're following today's trends. The long, you, you, can, you can practice being a long-term booker. You can even go out and book your, a major card and work backwards to it. So, go out six months or a year, go book, go book a big show, and then build to it. You'll see how hard it is, challenging it is, and fun it is. So this is a this game was some of those deals, Conrad, we talked about before. Why the hell didn't we think of this? It's a great game to play, folks. If you're a wrestling fan, give it a shot. You're going to have fun with it. You can travel with it. It's just a, it's a cool game. Great concept. And it's free. 80s Mania Wrestling Returns in the App Store or Google Play Store. Uh, check it out. You're going to love it. Uh, MJ Cornette fan. This is fun. Bruce Pritchard did this on the Love to Know show. Who was on Jim's Mount Rushmore for worst wrestlers ever? So not the best. That's what everybody's doing. What about the worst wrestlers ever, Jim? You got anybody yeah. that comes to mind right away? Well, <clears throat> I didn't want to commit those guys to memory. So they didn't stay long. Uh, <laughs> you know, really it's, it, it sounds crass and cold, but, uh, if they got to our level, <clears throat> excuse me, in WWE with that roster, we had already. He pretty well knew you had, you, you, you're getting a skilled person. We weren't going to, uh, Ludwig Borger was horrible. What about, uh, what about Brockus, Tiger, Ali Singh, Eric Watts? There's a lot of wrestling uh, wrestlers that fans are like, eh, he's one yeah. of the worst. Uh, Tiger didn't catch on and we spent a lot of money on trying to get Tiger over. That didn't work. Uh, Brockus, as you mentioned, uh, it was not. Not uh, ready for the, for prime time with any, any, any stretch. No way. Uh, I liked uh, as a human being. <clears throat> I liked the, the giant Gonzalez as a pro wrestler. God bless his soul. He was just not very good. So uh, the look. My take on that 
other than just throwing somebody on the bus, which is what a lot of people enjoy these Q and A's for, uh, if you could slap somebody who, oh my God, uh, that I think that, uh, we all are on the same page. Most of us, us fans, we all recognize greatness and we all recognize, uh, not greatness. And most of the people that are on those lists are two lists. there, probably going to match up pretty close. So the ones you would think would be on that list are, but over the years, uh, fewer and fewer of those guys pass through WWE, uh, at least when our group is in place for in talent relations. Tim flowers wants to know what's the single largest check you've ever seen a wrestler receive. I don't want to know who got it, what company paid it or what era it was in. I'm just curious as to the amount of the largest check you've ever seen a performer receive at one time. Just quickly off the top of my head. I'd say a million dollars, million dollars. Uh, and ironically, that was for a, a royalty check for three months. So somebody was selling lots of stuff, but a million the thing about this business today is that there's so much now the, cha- the game has changed for a lot of people, but where you work with companies that still get, you get paid off productivity and the house is great. So you get something other than, uh, the money's there. So we're going to pay you to keep from leaving. Uh, but a million dollars back in those days was, uh, unheard of. And it wasn't even for a year. It was for a, a royalty check for a quarter of a year. Uh, TP wants to know if Jr. could sign any wrestler from any other promotion to AEW, who would it be? Got lots of questions that were very, very similar to that one, but is there somebody out there right now that you think would really click with the AEW roster? Mm, yeah, uh, there's a lot of guys out there. You know, I, I like, uh, you're talking about guys that are, if you talk about guys that are under contract that are impossible to get, I think we'd be wasting our time. Uh, but I think that free agents out there, there are, there are many, you know, I like, uh, I like Jack Swagger. Uh, I would certainly Jack Swagger would be on my, uh, imaginary wish list to come to AEW because he's got a lot of skills. He's got size. He's got a background. Uh, you know, he's been around long enough to, he knows the right way, the wrong way of doing things. And, uh, I think he's, he hasn't touched the surface on how good he could be. Uh, he needs coaching. And, uh, you know, he needs, uh, he was, Jack was getting better when he was working so closely with Dutch Mantel cause Dutch is old school, good coach, good talent evaluator, former booker, et cetera, et cetera. So Jack kind of had a personal tutor on the road, which I thought helped him a lot. Uh, I like, uh, oh gosh, there's a lot of guys. I like, I like Harry Smith, uh, Davey Boyd jr. I'm not so wild about the name Davey Boyd jr. I think was, I'm sure he's proud of his father and I am too. But I like, I like, I like, don't try to replicate or go back. Harry Smith to me is, uh, uh, you know, he's even, he's called Harry bulldog Smith or whatever. And maybe that's the same thing, man. I'm going back to where I was or maybe I'm overthinking it. I think he's got a great upside. Uh, and he, all he needed ever to do is continue to develop his entertainment side, personality side. And he's doing that. I like Jeff Cobb. Uh, I like, I like those bruisers, I like big physical guys that add balance to what we're trying to do at AEW. I know everybody can't be 300 pounds, nor would you want that, but, uh, having some size and some athleticism with that size always interests me. There are a lot of other guys out there. And, and I believe that as time goes on, when, when people see, uh, our success and how, uh, unique, exciting and episodic, our television shows are going to be on TNT that we'll have a lot of guys when contracts expire at other places, they're going to inquire about coming to work for us. That's going to be a, that's not going to be a, 
that's not going to be hard to figure out. I don't think, I think that's going to happen, but until then you got still got, you still got to continue to add to your roster make it stronger and, uh, add what you think you have uh, shortcomings on. I think our shortcomings right now are size and, and, uh, and villains and all the three of those guys I just mentioned, uh, could be, could fill the bill on those if, if needed. Uh, Timber wants to know who on the AW roster now, do you think has the most potential to be the biggest star going forward? So I think, the, I think, when, the, go ahead. No, just repeat that Connie. Who on the current AEW roster do you think has the most potential oh. to be a huge star going mm. forward? Several of them. Uh, I am uh, I'm going to Atlanta soon to do a set down interview with hangman page, which I'm really looking forward to. I like his upside. He's a very smart kid. Uh, and he's young. He's 27. He's athletic. Uh, he's got a, he's got a good physique uh, and he's he graduated from college in two years. I think that's cool. I said, what's the big about going to college? I don't have a big college guy. Why are you saying Jared? I was already talking about college. College is a, is a journey. It's a journey that you start. And if you're judicious and studious, you finish the more guys you can hire on your roster, your team, uh, in your at work or you work, whatever that, uh, uh, are motivated and are goal oriented and finish what they start. You want to find those guys. And he's one of those guys. So I think hangman page is, is, uh, the young talents is, uh, got a great potential. I like, uh, uh, Luchasaurus, the big guy. And uh, I like his, his interactions with, uh, jungle boy, Jack Perry. I like Jack Perry, uh, a lot. Uh, there's a lot of guys I like, uh, these kids have been seeing the, 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 uh, there's just so many, but that's the issue that is it's so many is what's a good thing, Conrad, but the same respect is challenging because these men and women have got to figure a way to make themselves unique and not wait to be told, here's what you got to do to be great. You got to figure this shit out a little bit. You got to bring something to the party. And I think we'll see that on August 31st because there's for everybody's coming in the last big showcase a major pay-per-view with huge matches, uh, that sold out only can see it on pay-per-view. This is where you get back in front of that national audience, a global audience and show them what you got getting ready for October. So the pressure on these cats, women and men to be great in, in uh, Chicago on August 31st is overwhelming much more than many fans are ever going to perceive because I believe decisions are going to be made about who to go with and who maybe not quite so fast to go with based on the productivity and the production that they have, their performances, uh, in Chicago at all out big, big night for all of us. And many reasons other than just having a great show. Well, you mentioned college a minute ago, and I know a lot of our listeners are probably still carrying around the old backpack from college. You don't need to be carrying that to work anymore. And we all say that you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but we also know that's pretty much what most of us do. Appearance can be everything, especially in a professional situation. And that's why we want to talk to you about that bag over your shoulder. If you're still carrying around that backpack, man, it's time to grow up. Look the part, get yourself a Daniels briefcase. The Daniels is a New York city based men's leather briefcase brand. That's making boys look like men one bag at a time. But the best part is you can afford this bag before you land the big gig. By cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you, Daniels is able to offer a high quality luxury leather briefcase at an incredibly reasonable price 
of only 195 bucks. Uh, compared to other luxury brands with prices closer to 500, this is a heck of a bargain. And I was surprised. I have to admit, I was a little skeptical. I thought ah, that's too cheap to be a really good bag. Nope. This is awesome. It looks exactly like what you want to carry into the office. It is a perfect transition from, you know, your, your day to your evening. Uh, it carries everything you need. You're going to see JR and I carrying them this weekend in Charlotte. I love mine and Jim, I know you love yours too. Yeah. The leather is this. Most folks, it's much like Conrad's cheeks. It's very supple, soft, wonderful, high quality. <laughs> it is being serious. It's 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 like uh, it's, it's it's so much better than you pay for. It's so affordable, high quality, light. I tell you this: I interviewed a lot of Ivy League people and upper, you know, high high level college people for jobs office jobs and things of that nature or I had a second interview with somebody or hey we want to meet you this guy tell us what you think about him whatever and how they came in to my office was a big as far as their presentation did not start or end with what they were saying it started and ended with how they looked and how they how well prepared they were to come in I'm talking you know haircut pressed pants you know nice nice uh, outfit and shoe shined and finally if they if they had a bag I saw them as more professional, more prepared. And if they have one of these bags, you know, you got somebody that might be worth taking a little bit longer to look at. Great quality. I love mine. And the thing I love the most about it, other than this being it's neat, it's simple, is that it's so light. Uh, I can put my stuff in there and I don't wait my, everything, my iPad fits in there. Everything, it's just, it's a great. And so I would highly, highly suggest you check it out, Conrad. And we got a good deal for everybody too on this thing. No, that's exactly right. Go check it out right now. We want you to go to DanielsNYC.com. That's DanielsNYC.com and use our promo code grilling. And you're going to get $25 off a handcrafted high quality leather briefcase. And how about this with free shipping? Now that's this week. Our listeners can get $25 off their Daniels briefcase at DanielsNYC.com. Just use that promo code grilling at checkout. That's 25 bucks off one of their leather briefcases and free shipping. So ditch that old backpack. Start looking like a pro. Go to DanielsNYC.com. I love their briefcases and I'm confident you will too. And they've got uh, some cool choices here. Really and truly all you need is do you need black or do you need brown? But then they've got like some, some options with some uh, linings on the inside that are kind of fun. You can get like a sailboat or you can get a, a, a Fox. It's cool. Go check it out. Do yourself a favor. DanielsNYC.com, uh, especially for the value. It's, it's a great bag, an unbelievable price. DanielsNYC and be sure to use our promo code. Uh, let's keep it moving here. Brewer wants to know, what are your thoughts about Billy Corgan announcing an NWA weekly studio show in Atlanta this fall? Uh, I appreciate his, uh, motivation. Uh, he's Billy believes in the NWA brand and re, uh, launching it, so to speak, which they've already done obviously, but to, to see it grow and become viable again, uh, cause so many years it was basically dormant. Uh, so I, I appreciate his, uh, entrepreneurial ship. I hope that he, hope he does well with it. Uh, so, but it's it, like any other entity you got, he's going to, he, he's going to do a TV show. Where's it going to air? It's going to be streaming only. It's going to get a bigger platform. I don't know all those things, but I do know I'm a fan of Billy Corgan's and I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that the NWA can, uh, regain its once amazing credibility and luster 
Uh, and if Billy's the guy to do that, then more power to him. I wish him the best of luck. Uh, fun question here. Is there one piece of advice that Gordon Soley ever gave you that you still remember to this date? Wow. <clears throat> uh, be yeah, he did. He get the be real. In other words, be yourself. Because I, I, I told the story succinctly. I'll say this: when I was Gordon was so influential in my career and so viable in my life as a broadcaster that oftentimes, and I still do when I get a little drunk, go off of my Gordon Soli impressions, impersonations. Uh, he was he was big. So I remember doing something, and Cowboy heard it my practice run. And he told me very succinctly and with a very, I was not tone deaf. I got it. If I wanted to hire Gordon Soley, I would have stopped being Gordon Soley. So I start, I had my, rooted my rhythm. And so in other words, I took Gordon's advice. I became myself hoping that myself would be good enough to, uh, take me down the road a little bit farther. So be yourself. And quite frankly, it's great advice. You, you can almost name any job that you're doing. It's like Conrad making mortgages. I guarantee you when you go do a mortgage with Conrad, he's the same guy that I'm talking to right now. Yeah. Be yourself. And in life, that's a hell of a thing because there's so many phony, fake people, plastic, disingenuous bastards. And you find that a lot in our, in our business. It's sad. I, I hope it's getting better. I want to think it's getting better, but there's a lot of real workers out there, man, uh, that, that had in, rather immerse, immerse themselves in the politics of the business than the actual application of a great match. Uh, but, uh, I, I, Gordon was so good at that. Be yourself and, and, but nobody could be him. He was so distinctive that, you know, if I do a Gordon, Sully, well, the uh, giant pack song, Nam is bloody uh, dusty. All the American dream is bleeding. The current is flowing. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it's all this. We all got our, our Gordon. Sully. it's like, we all got our Stu Hart. All got our all dusty or Terry funk. We got all those. So, you know, when you do Gordon, it says that's Gordon. He was that unique. So I think being yourself, the best advice you ever gave me. And I thank you for that. Let's get another question here from Jay effing any good Tony Schiavone traveling stories. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think the world, Tony, Tony's like a little brother. I'm older than Tony, but you know, we, we had a long, we had some very unique journeys together because there were times when we were both in such a dysfunctional company in WCW at various times that, uh, at, there were times we only had each other to depend on largely to, to write a show or, or whatever. Uh, but you know, we, he and I shared a room, uh, for weeks in Atlanta to do post-production work. We got $35 a day for DM each. And we shared a room, we shared a rental car and, uh, we went to jocks and Jill's and CNN center for pretty much every meal. Our case were support to the varsity. Uh, but you know, Tony would get up. I'll show how hard work Tony is. This is what impressed me about Tony still does. He's got an unbelievable work ethic. I love him for that. He has an unbelievable work ethic. Hasn't hardly changed a bit since I first met him. He's a, you know, like Cornette said, he's got, a, he's the father of our country. There's all those how to moon kids as JC used to tell him on TV. Uh, but you know, no, no, nothing other than he'd wake up at five in the morning and call into the radio station in Charlotte and do a sports report. Well, you know, I heard that morning after morning and it was early so we could be out late, get back and do after our edit two or three o'clock in the morning. And then all of a sudden he's got to be on the radio at five from our phone in our room. 
so those are little stories, but you know, salaciously, Tony's always been a great family man. Now the blue, now the blue shoes in his, in his, in his, uh, life, I ain't going to vouch for that. Cause I don't know, but you know, men can only go so goes far. You can't get, don't do the blue chew unless you're going to do the business. Just okay. don't do it. Don't go there. So, but Tony's a great guy. I, he was so normal, man. And he worked his ass off. He worked hard. Uh, and I, uh, I got all the time to work for him. I can tell you that. It's funny that, uh, blue Chew's become such a big part of our show. Uh, FP wants to know if blue Chew was around in the eighties, who would have been its biggest fan? And I think he means besides the obvious. Well, we know who would have loved it. Sure. But who else? And he got, God knows he didn't need it. <laughs> the wind could blow and he'd get an erection. Woo. Uh, well, I can tell you, uh, believe it or not, I think Cowboy Bill Watts has been in that, in that line. <laughs> he's, a, he's a big red blooded American male. Uh, I don't know. Here's the, it'd be easier to say who wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Quite honestly, if you do it once. You're going to say, God dang, this works. And it does. So there's a lot of, a lot of guys. I mean, there was a lot more, uh, indiscriminate, unprotected sex in the seventies and the eighties than there are now. I'm thinking as far as unprotected aspect of it, unless you're just a blithering idiot, uh, you know, put a helmet on the sucker. It's not going to go to work. Uh, but I think, uh, nobody would have probably shied away from it. You know, uh, I, I, it was good. It's good for everybody. And now when you hear, you, you know, we were talking about that there's women in some of these wrestling companies that are, are ordering blue chew for their boyfriends. What's that's not a great recommendation. I don't know what we can do for you. SJ Sutton wants to know, and this is a, a fun question. Cause I don't think we've ever discussed this. What are your memories of working on the world of sports series? Oh, loved it. The ITV people there are just absolutely amazingly professional. They love wrestling down to their core. They grew up as fans of the amazing ITV. And I'm so happy that AEW just got a relationship with ITV. They're a difference maker in the UK. ITV is a monster in a good way, but boy, I had so much fun with those guys. They took me, they took me to Chinatown and Manchester where I went there and had meetings. Uh, we, we, we did our deal. I helped produce the show. I, I talked to the, they wanted me to talk to the talent before the shows, the tapings. I did. I loved it. Uh, I loved that uh, whole experience of working with the, the folks there at ITV and looking forward to doing more with them, hopefully, uh, in the future with, uh, AEW, but they were totally professional. Uh, it's like going to work at, you know, it's like going to work at uh, ABC or something. I mean, they're major, they're big time, big league. And we had a phenomenal uh, crew. Uh, they, they did it right. Now, did, I don't know, you, you have to be the judge of what, what the product that we produced. Did you like it or you didn't like it? But uh, I had a blast with those guys because they're fans. They're open-minded. They're, they're open to suggestions. They're good communicators. They're not bullies. They're not assholes. They're good people. And good people around you make you, as a human being, want to do good things as well. So I, I loved it. I, I, I hope that we're going to do a lot of shows in the U.K., uh, affiliated with ITV. Don't know that we are or aren't, but I hope that we are. Cause I, I loved it over there and I want to go back to Chinatown in Manchester. Led Zepp head wants to know in the boardroom with his core team is Vince erratic and unreasonable, or is he serious business-like and open to opinions and ideas? The latter, uh, it, it, the, it depends on the room, 
but he's generally very organized and structured in that respect. Uh, but then he's easily distracted. Uh, and I don't know, that may account for his ADD or whatever. Uh, but he's easily distracted, but he's not, he doesn't come in as a, the, he's not a Mr. McMahon character, although at the flip of a switch, he can become that, but normally he's a very, uh, strategic businessman. The only thing about this is that, you know, he's, he's easily swayed. And sometimes the last person to have the audience with him, uh, is the one that, that closes the deal. And sometimes that's not always a good thing, but, uh, no, he was, he was fine. He was not, uh, he didn't come in, you know, blood veins, bulging face, red, you know, uh, nothing like beads of sweat or whatever. He was, he was fine. Everything was good in the meeting room. Just some, some poor unknown, uneducated bastard sneezed. Then it was a, then all bets were off. <laughs> Interesting question here. I love these tie from Gary. If you could have one last dinner with three wrestling legends who've passed away, who would it be? Oh, wow. Well, uh, golly, that's so hard. Maybe gorilla. Oh, you, you know, I'm going there. Gorilla, Bobby, uh, Bobby Heenan, Gene Okerlund would be three. I could take boom, 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 really easy. What about dusty? He's on there somewhere. Oh God. Yeah. I say you can't do three. I said, how do you, how do you name when you have so many dear friends that have passed, right? Uh, like we have. It's just hard to leave anybody off that, that list. You know, I, if you're going back in time, I said, well, I want to, I want to have dinner with John Wayne and Mickey Mantle and, you know, guys like that, you know, uh, but boy, interesting, the guys that love me and, and help me under really challenging times, uh, Dusty would be on that list, but certainly Gene and gorilla and Bobby, you can't, if I, if I had a chance to invite Bobby to a dinner and I didn't. And the guys that came to the dinner found that out. They would be disappointed because he would always be the star of the show. He was the star of the show. When he worked with me, uh, I was just there to feed him the ball. I was a little point guard and, and the, and the brain was did the scoring. He shot the threes and he, he hit the majority of them, but you know, Dusty would be in, in that, uh, that group, obviously we just had so much fun together and so much in common, such, you know, friendly rivals with this Oklahoma, Texas thing. And, uh, so, but, but, but if I could do four, Dusty, uh, Dusty would be in that list for sure. Uh, or if I did five, four, I would, Dusty would be there. Uh, and the guys I mentioned, Gordon, uh, not what, well, yeah, Gordon would be, Gordon would be good. I didn't mention Gordon. So you can't do it. You can't, it's like saying who's on your Mount Rushmore. Right. We mean, I mean today or tomorrow or an hour, 10 minutes from now, cause it's going to change. So it's, it's not an automatic deal. Who's on your, your. If you're a fan and you haven't had a personal relationship with these, with these men and women, then it's easier to make that decision. And remember, it's, it's very, it's very, uh, you know, uh, argumentative. It's very subjective, but, uh, I, I, uh, when you know them, Conrad, like you and I have known guys, it's hard to exclude those fellas. How could I ever exclude dusty Rhodes from a last dinner? You couldn't, but then how do you, where do you start? Where do you draw the line? Well, there's. You're going to put Gordon in there. Yeah. Uh, you get, you in the gorilla. Of course, Bobby Hannon, without a doubt. Mean Gene. Yeah. And the list could go on actually, but it's just hard to do when you know and love these people. And that's the, you know, I've seen a picture the other day, uh, 
somebody sent me a picture on Twitter at JRSBBQ if you're interested. Hey, hey, it's Conrad if you're interested on Twitter. We like it. Uh, I saw a picture from Sheffield, England, 1993, me standing between Lord Alfred Hayes and Bobby Heenan. And we did a show over there, I think it was for uh, Sky Television. It was, it was the, first, the next show I did after WrestleMania uh, uh, in 93, WrestleMania 9. And I'm looking at this picture. It brings back great memories. I even remember the tie I was wearing. It brought that back so vividly. And then I look at it a little closer, and both my partners are gone. I think, God, JR, you better get realistic here. You know, these, this journey is going to end some of these days. Enjoy today, man, because tomorrow's not guaranteed. That's kind of been what I've been working on, but that's, you never know. So that's a great question though. It's fun to talk about things like that. It's like saying, well, what would you have for, what would, what would be on the menu? <laughs> I don't know what the menu would be, but I don't want the bar would be well-stocked. Jay green wants to know any good Klondike bill stories. Well, you know, Tony's got more Klondike bill stories than me because bill migrated from a territory, strongman character, baby face. Uh, which he came through Oklahoma as, you know, where he do all the feats of strength and so forth. Bill Solowiko, the Polish strong man before there was Ivan Pesky, the other Polish strong man. Uh, he was getting ready for a big push and, and championship wrestling for Leroy McGurk. And he had a habit of stopping off the Fort Smith bus station where some of the ladies of the evening and day were uh, holding court and on his way to the, the matches on a Wednesday night. Cause he's on TV there every week. He was kind of a little quasi star, but somehow under those escapades, uh, our newly minted going to be a top baby face Klondike bill got syphilis of the eyes. So that put him on a shelf for a while and also ended his push. McGurk could only think of one thing of how a man would get syphilis of the eyes. His face had to be in a close proximity to the inflicted area. And that was a taboo. You could not have oral sex in that territory. Oh my God. And so I'm going to, he, he finds this out that the, the guys are enjoying that delicacy as it was told to him. He had not sampled it because, you know, he lost his sight in the early fifties. He wasn't going there at that time. And so, uh, he wants me and Leo Voss, the old referee, who was my, my mentor to go to little rock. And fire everybody there that, uh, we perceived enjoyed oral sex. Uh, I'm serious now, 250 mile drive. So I'm driving Leo's shotgunning it. I said, Leo, are we really going to fire guys? I'm 22 years old. Hell, I ain't fired anybody. I'm a punk ass ring guy, referee, gopher, McGurk's driver. He said, let me handle this. So I'm thinking, okay. Cause I sure as I don't know how to handle it. I don't want to handle it. I'm just driving. We stop in Fort, uh, right outside of Fort Smith, which is about halfway there and call the office and call collect. Of course, when you call the office collect, you always call this Gene Kaninsky. They refuse to call shows up on, you know, they, then the, the numbers there, they call you back to say 30 cents. Seriously. So we call Leo calls, collect Gene Kaninsky. Uh, I think Mrs. McGurk got the phone. Finally, they talked. You guys can come home now. He's got, he got, he got, he had more to drink. He got, got real woozy. We took him home. Forget it. Just come back. Don't say anything about this to anybody type deal. So we, we, uh, turned around. We had a nice meal at a truck stop there. And, uh, and, uh, 
I think it was Roland, Oklahoma, somewhere in that neighborhood near Fort near Salisaw. So, uh, and then we came home, but we were going to fire the whole territory that, that, that participated in oral sex. Now figure that one out. That's the HR issue, huh? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you explain that, but well, there's no HR. <laughs> there was no HR and thank God we didn't have to explain it. Thank God cooler heads prevailed, but those are stories of the wild west that without HR and unions and all these things, no unions now, but you know, it was just a, it, every day was a crazy ass adventure for a 22 year old kid fresh off the farm. Rick Spade wants to know, I've always loved your commentary, but one thing that always stuck out to me as odd was the fact that you had to push at Halloween Havoc 91, the reefer eye camera or refer eye camera. Uh, I guess reefer, maybe as much as we talk about on this show, what can you tell me about the idea behind the refer eye and the awkward commentary because of it? Now, I guess we should let people know you guys tried something here in 91 and WCW where you put a helmet cam on the referee. So there would be shots in the show where instead of just doing the regular hard cam or maybe jacket, uh, Jackie standing on the ledge of the ring, we would really get inside the action with this referee head camera. And, and this is a different time in sports. I know that if you watch this sort of in a vacuum, that may not make sense, but people were trying this and things like basketball and baseball and football specifically. Is that sort of the influence to why you guys tried this and why did it ultimately not make it? Yeah. Other, other sports, other entities are trying it. Uh, somebody in production, uh, within, within TVS, it wasn't Keith Mitchell's idea, but somebody in production, uh, I think they maybe try it with a Braves game or, or something, uh, or the home plate umpire. I'm not sure, but nonetheless, uh, it was suggested that we do it. I think Heard was trying, Jim Heard was trying to make brownie points for the upper management there and going along with it, uh, uh, cooperating. It was the stupidest idea that you could imagine. It's one of them really, I mean, really dumb. It's worse than the Abdul the Butcher getting, uh, uh, you know, KSC'd in that big chair. It just, uh, uh. so, uh, it was hard to get emotionally invested in, in the, that angle. Uh, it just really was. So, uh, it was just ill-fated. Nobody wanted to do it. It was dead before it started, but we had to do it anyway because the commitment had been made to uh, TBS Brass that so we'd give it a try, and it sucked. I felt bad for Nick Patrick. He's a damn good referee, but the idea sucked. Chris Kringle wants to know, what caused Ricky Steamboat to leave WCW after the 89 Great American Bash? Well, which of the two C's you want to pick from? There you go. Uh, you know, Ricky was, Ricky was in a very unique marriage. Uh he got kind of got resurrected, re-resurrected. Those three matches with Rick Flair in '89 were still leg- are still legendary. There's still great teaching and coaching tapes. Any talent that wants to get refreshed or get motivated about the business again, or or maybe it's a little little thing here or there that they might add to their own repertoire that would fit them, they should watch these three matches at some point in time. And now with the accessibility of them, the WWE Network or wherever, uh, why not? You learn from them. I think he came off a great year and I think he perceived that he was getting a low ball offer quite honestly. I mean, he's, he, he had that, that run that year. He'd be, he'd be in the NWA champion. So he, he, uh, they were taking care of him in that regard and he was a great champion. Uh, I love Ricky. He's still this day. One of my favorite people, but I think he felt he was getting financially low balled. And, uh, while he could, he's already proven re proven that he could still go good Lord. So he thought he was more marketable than that, than what they was being offered. So anytime a guy leaves, 
I'm telling you, it sounds predictable. We got a little JR is going to say one of the two C's in this case, it was route of money, the cash. Fun question here from, uh, Derek. He says, do you think WWE missed a massive opportunity, not putting Taz and Steve Austin together when they were both super hot and over at the same time with similar hashtag FTW mindsets. Now I realize that sounds like a, a weird question to some of our listeners who really remember Taz more as a commentator, but man, Taz was like the Steve Austin of ECW. I mean, he was the Billy Badass, and he came in with a monster push very uh-huh. early from you guys getting, uh, the opportunity to beat Kurt angle, hand Kurt angle, his first loss. So I do think that there could have been something there. Was it ever discussed? I think maybe casually. Uh, I think that if Taz and Steve could have both stayed healthy for a longer period of time, you know, Taz's run was cut very, very short. Right. Uh, and, uh, that was sad because he had a lot of tread left on the tires. As far as I was concerned as a, uh, personality, very strong personality. He was a lot like Steve, uh, but I would think that somewhere down the road, uh, that match would have been, uh, would, would, would have been on the radar. Uh, it would have been intriguing. It'd have been entertaining. It'd been great promos. Uh, it could have been very fun, but you know, unfortunately for Taz, he, he, uh, the health, you know, it, it, his time ran out. The bump card got full and, and, uh, but he was, he became a great broadcaster. I love working with Taz. He was fun to travel with because we talked more about sports because neither one of us were, were both during that era where we and Taz were together. He may say this, he has a great radio show in the morning in New York city and he's online and social media and he's got a streaming show. He's, he's a hell he's become a great broadcaster in the number one market of the country. Uh, but you know, that time of our life professionally, Conrad, we were not in love with the business. And so we could probably have the most negative car in the world, Jr. and Taz driving. It might have been a great one of those lipstick camera deals, uh, a reality show, because we had, we said some funny shit. We had some funny scenarios. We rebooked the territory every every at every rest stop, so to speak. Every time you pass something, we go, okay, here's another idea. But basically, we talked about sports. So uh, it's just a sad that he got he got banged up. I I, I hired Taz. Uh, and that was another one that wasn't easy to get hired. Damn height. Do you think, said, um, when you're talking about Taz as a commentator, you know, and how much fun you guys had, do you think you guys might ever work together again on something with AEW or something like that? Well, that's up to AEW and Taz, but if they chose to go that route, I'd, I'd love it. I, I have no, I, there's so many partners out there that I work with. I'd love to, to, to have another at bat with. We talked about Tony Schiavone. I, Hey, I work with Tony Schiavone every week, any week. And anything, uh, I, I think I have that much respect for him. And I think he's still got lots and lots left to provide and, and to contri- contribute, uh, but Taz, same deal. Uh, th- they're proven, man. Uh, they, they both got it. And, uh, so look, I, I'm glad I'm not in that loop. I really am. I've got all I can say grace over to doing my role. And I love working with, with these guys, you know, uh, I, Alex Marvest takes a bad rap. You know, he's not experienced. He's not a TV broadcaster. He's learning. And some people have no patience for people that are trying to learn and get better. Uh, the other cat X Calvert's damn good. He's really good. Uh, and I, I would like in a perfect world to have my run there, uh, and then leave it to him. And, and hopefully he would learn things from our little meetings and our working together, our communication, especially going to work every week, brother, brother. It ain't easy being married every week to a wrestling personality. Right. 
That's why Lawler and I got along so well. We were more interested in where where the next Cracker Barrel exit was than we were about who's getting the push, quite frankly, because we're both making more money than we ever dreamed we'd make. Lawler's making more money as a broadcast than he made, I think, as a the world champion in the AWA. Wow. So, uh, you know, so I, I, it was, uh, all those guys are good, but I, I like Taz a lot. He, he brought his accent. It was like mine. It was distinctive. Right. You listen to it. And, uh, he just, he did a good job. He's a real good personality. It's still growing in that regard. He's just getting better and better at that world, but you never know what AEW is going to do. That's the great thing about this company. There's no preconceived notion of who, well, the, this guy burned that bridge and this guy burned that bridge. Well, I don't know. He didn't sell for me one time in this, you know, Nagoya or someplace. It's weird to me that the Taz, you know, with everything popping up now, you know, obviously he had time with WWE and impact, but you know, between ring of honor and between, you know, the NWA doing their thing and AW and NXT and you know, there's uh, new Japan and uh, there's so many options. You would think that. Surely a good name. Although you Taz should be doing commentary for somebody, uh, Nick, agree, wants, go ahead. I agree with, I agree with that, but you also got to understand he's got a very high profile morning show, right? That restricts travel, but, it, but also, you know, if you could make the travel piece work, having that very successful radio show gives your wrestling promotion, the rub in a big way. I don't know. Right. Just, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I let's, I hope it happens for him. Uh, wherever it may be, if that's what he wants to do. Right. Yeah. That's uh, the other thing about Taz is Taz is going to do what Taz wants to do. So, and, and, and God bless him for it because sure. he may be great coming in and who knows, uh, they may tell me, Hey, Jr. we're going to do this pay-per-view in, in December. And what do you think about working with Taz? I'd love it. I'd love it. Or Tony or, or, or whomever. It's not my, uh, my place is to love it. And my place is to make it work because they're paying me to make this work in that role. And that's by God, what I'm going to do, no matter who's sitting beside me. Well, I thought I did a good job of SmackDown and, and, I, and I miss him on TV, you know, calling wrestling. So I'm sure eventually if this wrestling quote unquote, boom continues, somebody will write a big enough check and he'll say, okay, we'll, we'll do it again. Uh, name, Nick, the game, name of the game, baby. Show me the money. Nick wants to know was wrestlers court helpful in policing the locker room or was there backlash? And do you have any fun? wrestling court stories, even if you weren't necessarily present for them, I'm sure the stories made the rounds. I, I didn't go to any wrestler's court in my role. That would not have been very judicious to steal a term. Uh, I always thought that the wrestler's court was a, was a, a fun kind of an icebreaker or a fun kind of a, a let me up moment. Uh, it gave the guys, uh, a, a source of entertainment that they created and they shared that wasn't on TV. It was just them and their buddies having a good time. The, the, the worst punishments, uh, doled out was usually a case of beer or a fifth of Jack Daniels or something like that. And yes, I know, you know, political folks that, well, that's sending a wrong message. I saw somebody on the day said, I can't believe the AEW is using Jake Roberts, in these commercials and he's smoking for the love of God, man, you can't smoke. It's going to, you know, come on, take it easy. Lighten up Francis. You don't worry about smoking. It's a, it's a, he's a car dealer. You know, he shakes a snake. So, but that, that was the whole deal. It was, it was a, it was their time to do their thing and in a, in a way to clear the air on an issue that, you know, was, uh, brought to their attention. And of course the judge undertaker 
had a great DA, JBL. And, you know, it, this was fun. And so then they come out of there smiling and laughing. And now the guy that had to go buy the fifth of Jack Daniels or the, or the case of cold beer might've had a boo-boo face, but, uh, you know, he's all, they're going to they'll be all right. So I think it was a good thing in a lot of ways. It was a talents thing to do that they could produce, direct and enjoy. And when it's over, it's over. Fun question here. Was the ding dongs match. The only time that Jr. quote broke character on air. I remember right after it ended, I heard him say something like, God, that was awful under his breath. <laughs> well, it was, uh, if I was, I thought might've thought my mic was off. Uh, I, here's the thing about my work. I'll try not to go and bury something. Even the ding dongs was, was what I remember telling her that's the story about, it. he said, I got this great idea. The ding dongs, they're hunchbacks. They ring bells. They can't be pinned. Well, the hunchbacks and the ding dongs, different people. I can't remember that. Yes. Yes. They both sucked. They're good talents too, by the way. That's why they got the gigs. They're both are good talents under the mask. I mean, I don't think the hunchback thing ever happened. I think it was just discussed. Well, he says to me, they're unbeatable. Yeah. How you figure they can't be pinned. Yeah. The, the, the old joke was, uh, I think Jim Cornette said, well, if we haven't ever have an outdoor show, then somebody will just go around to the outside and dig a hole. <laughs> just yeah. you know, what the fuck? Well, I suggested that they could lose by disqualification by uh submission submission. Yeah. And he started, he gave me a cussing. I blew his cover. Yeah. It's not going to, this ain't lucky thing. Uh, but no, I don't know where we were on the question, but the, uh, I, I, I try to my, the, the tail on me, the poker tail on me is if I lay out for inordinate lengths of time, you don't like it uh-uh. or I can't sell it. I can't sell, I can't, I can't do any more than insult your intelligence. And I don't want to do that. Well, sometimes you'll lay out, you know, like if there's a big reaction, the crowd's going bananas and there's, you know, laying out then for a, a effect of letting the, the viewer at home sort of just feel the moment is one thing, but the other tale, if it's not that then it probably just sucks and you don't want to shit on it. So it's one of those, if you don't have anything polite to say, don't say anything at all. Right. That's not how you get talent over. You can't get talent over with negatives. Hey folks. Oh, uh, so-and-so they're short, but boy, he is fat. <laughs> Here's a fun one here. We've, uh, I've heard this story too, or, or heard a roundabout, you know, whisper rumor and innuendo, but never strayed from you. I've heard inklings of a story where Jr. was witness to some talks in the NWA plotting to kill Vince McMahon that Jim overheard while he was taking a shit Can mm -hmm. Jr. tell the story. So this is a, a fascinating story that I think people have sort of whispered about, but I don't know that you've told in long form before. What's, what's the deal? I, What'd you hear? I've told the story a few times at some of the, uh, shows I did with the uh, Lawler or by myself before you and I teamed up to make our, uh, exciting tag team combination. Uh, it's a true story. Watson and I flew to Kansas city. I believe it's Kansas city or St. Louis. And, uh, for a meeting of these promoters to figure out how to combat, uh, Vince McMahon's amazing growth of the wrestling business and the expansion of WWE, which was, was coming into these, these, uh, uh, sovereign territories and what are we going to do? So 
Anyway, Watt said, well, the, I said, well, what are we, we going to, what are we, what are, why, why am I going? He said, well, you're going to learn something and I want you to go to listen and I want to know what you think, blah, 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 but you're going to learn things that you'll be able to use if you stay in this goddamn business. Okay. So we had a nice ride. Hey, you're right. You're flying with the boss. He's the pilot. Uh, we're in his plane, little zip up and down from Tulsa to where either Kansas city or St. Louis, we <clears throat> get a car, go to the hotel. And he said, we're not going to learn a goddamn thing here, kid. He said, these some bitches can't even agree on where to have lunch or what to order. So they ain't going to agree on nothing. Anyway, we're going to go up there and listen. He said, I'll, I'll get some information. I might, we might be able to hear about a talent wanting to leave or whatever, but we'll, we'll, we'll come away with some things that we can use, but not as them as a conduit in that respect. So anyway, uh, we're getting ready. We have a, getting ready to have a lunch that suspicious mystery lunch. And, uh, we, uh, have the, our break and I make my way to the men's room. I go into the first available stall. It might've been the only stall in there. And I, uh, I, uh, get down to do my business and uh, here comes a bunch of guys walking in off from that meeting, famous wrestling promoters, hall of fame, men. Some of those famous men in rest, pro wrestling history are in my little bathroom. And I'm sitting there trying to be discreet. You ever try to be discreet, Conrad, when you need to really go? Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It, it's hard. It's very sad. It's really sad. Anyway, uh, they start talking about Vince, right? And I, I said, well, so one voice, very distinctive voice says, I could have the motherfucker killed for $700. Why don't we just do that? So then my, then like I was surrounded by a bunch of little David Copperfields, my feet started elevating off the floor of the bathroom. Cause I didn't want anybody to see there's anybody in there. They hadn't noticed. They hadn't said anything. And so that was kind of where that ended. They washed their hands. Some of them did, I guess. Uh, and I was still, I, I can't quite wait to lower my feet back to the floor. Cause my abdomen are hurting. Cause I'm in bad shape. Uh, and they leave. So I come out of the, I finished my thing and washed my hands. Believe it or not. And I see Calvo said, uh, boy, that was interesting. He said, what? And I told him, he said, oh shit. They just slapping their gums, kid. They ain't going to do shit. They, they couldn't agree who was going to put the $700 in. If that's what they were going to do. Oh my God. We're, he said, we're leaving. He said, uh, and we'll go someplace else and have a good lunch. So I just shit. So he Cowboys were interested in the lunch we had. We got a few names of talents are in, in, you know, there and things are going on. Uh, we had some big shows coming up. So if you get a date on, on Harley or get a date on this guy or that guy all helped. And, uh, you know, you pay a little kickback to the promoter. So they can make a little money because he's not going to join the Alliance. And so he said, we're going home cause we we're done. So they, they're, they're going to repeat the same stories this afternoon. They did this morning, except they're going to be longer and slower. And, uh, we're, we're out of here before they get through their last meeting. We'll be back in Bixby. So that's how we did. So the thought of killing Vince McMahon, it was not, the thought was not really expounded upon like, yeah, how would we go about doing that? Where would it be? Whatever. But it was basically a non, a, a matter of fact, Hey, I got a guy killing for $700. Right. So, Hey, okay. I, I need to do, do and move on down the road. <laughs> uh, PT Vinnie Mac wants to know, do wrestlers ever have clauses in their contracts? That re- restrict them from attending other wrestling promotion events. No, I just think it's a common sense thing. You, 
I think I encourage wrestlers to go to other events well, and support other promotions. You don't want to be on somebody else's inadvertently be on somebody else's TV show, but just going to an event and not being advertised or not being a part of the, the, the reasons to buy a ticket. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I don't think, and I have never, I'm not aware there's ever any kind of contract either ever. There so, was, uh, who were the kilted guys in WWE Highlanders? Yeah. yeah the Highlanders, Rory and. I can't remember. Yeah, he, he, but he was on T he, they put him on television, but again, how would he know that that he was going to be on television? Just sitting in the crowd. Well, it's a televised event, Conrad. Oh, I see. So you're saying if it's televised, you can't go. If it's televised, you can't be on any way, be on camera in any shape, form or fashion, setting in the audience, taking a dump like Jr. was in Kansas city or wherever, nothing. If it's a non-televised event, go sit with the, whoever the hell you want. Right. But you just can't get in the ring and be involved. Sure. And, and, and any, under any circumstance, no matter what, what it is, you can't be advertised as a part of the program. Of course not. So that was, he went to a TV and I think it, he's a Canadian, he's a, uh, from Ontario. I think you know, there were some good Canadian connections there. I don't know if they thought it was a rib or what. I really don't know, but it got him in trouble. It, just, it shouldn't have had, but it did. He should have been smarter. Interesting question from Grant here. What was it like to continue announcing without your monitors and notes whenever your table got destroyed during an event? I think that's such a good question because you've told the story here that you know your 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 job as the commentator is to call what's on the screen. That's sort of you know, even though you may be ringside, you're not supposed to be watching the action. You need to be watching what the fans are calling so you can comment on that. But when that monitor goes down as part of you know the destruction of one of these tables, but it's not the final match. How do you, what do you, how do you adjust? What do you pivot to? Well, luckily we were at ringside, so we we're close to the action. So you just raise your head up and watch it, uh, without saying like a dick here. I'm not, that was your, obviously, but for when we did a pay-per-view, for example, that happened or raw more, more, uh, likely the great thing we had was the backup was the, uh, Titantron. Oh yeah. There you go. So, and we're looking right at it. Sure. So that, that saved us. There was a nice, there was a little, uh. Uh, unlikely, uh, uh, you know, uh, bubble to fall on. It was a little, little life preserver, but it's not easy because a good broadcaster always calls what they see on their monitor. They're not looking around wild eyed. And the only time you want to look up is when you're, you're, you see that you're on a, you're, you're on camera in the background and then you look up to get a better shot of yourself on television. You don't want to be shot with your head down. Like you're reading a, reading a book. I, I've had people say that, uh, so remember that deal where I did the raw uh, law and I did the 25th raw and we, they said that we were sleeping. Yeah. You remember that? Which is one of the most, I feel sad for that person that said that, or, or those people that thought that, you know, you're looking down at your notes or you're texting seriously, or you're, or you're tweeting. Well, and, you know, and, sometimes when you and I do live shows, people will be like, uh, you know, they'll, they'll in the middle of the show tweet, you know, Conrad, get off your phone. You know, you're supposed to, <laughs> but the deal is like, I'm texting our special guests. Hey, here's your cue. Here's where to come in. And, and people right. are sort of giving me the quote unquote Iggy that, Hey, so-and-so's here. Well, how am I going to communicate that without it? So sometimes it's not, I'm not down there playing fucking Minesweeper. You know, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still working. So I'm, I'm sensitive to what you're saying there that you're still conducting business because I think a lot of people may have lost sight on this, but. Really all the production folks are over at Barclays. There's a skeleton crew at best at the Manhattan center. So 
you're getting a lot of your notes and cues from people who aren't inside the building. Right. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right. Another question here, JR. And again, you can ask these questions using, uh, ask hashtag ask JR on social media. And this is a great one from Adam. Uh, just wondering, what do you find to be the biggest difference and challenge in calling a match in 2019 compared to calling a match in the eighties or nineties? Uh, the guys in the eighties and nineties that were really good, uh, allowed the great things they did to be processed. And so therefore it was easier to connect the proverbial dots and tell a more understandable and emotionally charged story to the viewer today. Uh, the pace at times becomes so frenetic that, uh, you go from point a to point C and then from point C to point F you start making these giant leaps. And at times that affects the storytelling process because when you see that so frequently, all you're really doing is ooing and awing and documenting a high spot, uh, uh, a four fifty splash or a, are, are things that are just sensational to watch and are truly amazing to, to see performed, but I can't, I can't give you everything I got. If I'm seeing three of those like things in inside of a few seconds. So I think the pace is the biggest issue. I'm not by any means advocating, uh, grabbing a hold. That's the worst term in wrestling. And I used to talk to the guys and I heard a producer say, I want to have you grab a hold. Well, that's bullshit. Grabbing a hold is bullshit. Applying a hold is your money. Grab this, will you? Grabbing a hold. Because that's generally what happens. You see a guy get an arm bar on somebody that you can, he can just pull it right out. Or, you know, it wouldn't hold a four-year-old. Right. Grabbing a hold. Lazy wrestling. Lazy producing and bullshit. If you grab a hold, you should apply a hold on a body part that you can further exploit. So therefore connecting the dots in a shorter, uh, separation point than not. So I think it's about pace and storytelling and wrestling fans love stories. And I know some fans really, really like, uh, aerial, uh, air at the acrobatics and the, uh, the flying stuff. And I, I'm one of them. I'm just not as refined about my, uh, knowledge of it as some, as some of the younger fans are, but I enjoy it. But you gotta let me sell it for you. You gotta set it up. You gotta let me sell it. And because you can't I use this all this analogy all the time, Conrad. I'll get off this topic. It's like a comedian. If you tell a joke, what do you do? You let your audience laugh. And if they're not laughing, you go right into joke number two. But you don't go into joke number two if they're laughing. That's right. So that's what I'm saying. Let me uh, let's let us pr- process this amazing thing you've just done. And maybe at the end of the day, you do fewer of them, but the ones you do execute mean more. I miss that. I miss the storytelling. Interesting question here about an all time great that we don't hear about very much anymore. Mark wants to know, where do you rank Skandar Akbar in the pantheon of wrestling managers? Do you think he should be in the WWE hall of fame? He was my favorite manager when I was a kid. Well, I am very, I'm very biased. I'm talking about Jim Weba, the Lebanese strongman from Vernon, Texas. Uh, he was one of my first traveling partners. He and Danny Hodge, they were tag team partners at that time. <clears throat> so I was the, uh, I was the kid. I, the kid drove 
hot shot set shotgun until he got sleepy. Then he got the back seat and Akbar then took over, which is more often not the way it was. And, uh, we had amazing interest. Listen to the radio, uh, you know, two strange looking people, all of us, I guess cauliflower ears for Hodge and Akbar, hairy beard, look like a bear. And then some baby face kid over there behind the wheel, bopping his head to the music. Uh, they didn't do drugs. They didn't drink. Um, so I didn't get any of those bad habits. They shared a room. They let me heal in. Uh, I, I ensconced myself in the, in the hyper clean bedspreads that we now know are hideous. That was my bedding on the floor. And I was also a very efficient in the seventies. Now remember I was very efficient channel changer. Hey kid. Okay. Hey kid. There's only three channels. God damn it. <laughs> so at a hotel, but they let me stay for nothing. So, uh, I loved him and I'm so very, I'm very biased. He was a great manager that had no fear. He was not afraid of the audience and meeting him. That's why the, there's a, there's been a proliferation of, of, of managers not making or hitting the, hitting the exit. Some of them, they're not given the chance to really get heat. And those that get heat in an indie show or a smaller promotion, uh, don't aren't comfortable with it. But Skander Akbar deserves to be in any hall of fame. He's, he's, he, he, he's taught so many guys. He befriended so many guys. He was such a teacher, a mentor. He was one of my greatest mentors in my entire career. And uh, we had the greatest conversations. I remember telling me a story one time. He told his wife that because she was making watch the Miss America pageant on his rare, rare nights home. He told me when I saw, I saw the next week, he said, and she made me watch the goddamn Miss America pageant. And I finally told her, I said, honey, it's a work. It's a work. And she says, for God's sakes, please, please just let me believe in something, anything. You know, so he was, he was, uh, he was an old school, grumpy guy, but boy, he had a heart of gold and he loved those Texas longhorns. My God. Uh, and then, and of course I love my Oklahoma Sooners and therefore I've built another relationship in wrestling through my, uh, love of the Sooners and their love of their longhorns. So Dusty was one of them, Murdoch was a lot of those guys. Rob writes in, in the past, you'd said in the territory days that if you didn't work, you didn't get paid. Uh, how then did wrestlers get paid when doing a couple week or months injury angle when they couldn't wrestle due to storyline? Did they get a stipend or something else? That's an interesting question because no, you pay them. You, you unbooked them, right? You unbooked them, uh, due to your storyline. Uh, they're not guaranteed any, a number of dates on their, those old agreements, but you got to remember in those old days, back in the territory days, there were no contracts, right? But if, and, and so you took care of who you had to take care of. If, if Dusty was the booker and they were going to take, uh, uh, you out as a character Conrad in a storyline that that's at their hand. So they would be paying you while you were off selling the angle. So you wouldn't be unbooked do their angle and not get any pay for it while you're sitting at home, trying to figure out how you're going to buy groceries this week. But, uh, it got especially dicey. When you're, you're, you're in a territory where the, uh, you know, McGurk had a territory, uh, downside gear, a minimum, you got $40 of booking $40. And so as a wrestler, as a referee, whatever, now there was a lot of times as a referee, I made 25, but generally for, for at least a year of my first year doing that, I don't think I ever made over 40 bucks a day. 
And out of that comes all your expenses. So it was tough. Uh, but Ack was a great guy. He told me how to save some money, where to eat, when to eat the buffets, how to get, you know, how, the, the room deal. Uh, he was just was brilliant, but he, he had such a big heart. He helped so many people. I went to his funeral and Danny and I, Danny Hodge and I cried and, and, uh, I was just happy that Hodge didn't squeeze me so hard in our hug that I would had to be hospitalized. But, uh, I, I love to whack a good guy, Skandar Akbar, good dude, really, really good dude and tough man. He was not to be trifled with in the locker room. He was, he was legit. He was benching 500 pounds, uh, back when it was unheard of. He was a freak and he was not a juicer, a uh, gas guy. He's a heavy lifter from the time he was a little kid. Uh, it just got big, big, wide wrists. You can always tell an athlete. Sometimes folks look at a, look at the wrists of athletes, the wider, the wrist, usually stronger the individual. And some guys you'd be surprised. If you look at them today, they're wrestling have very narrow wrists. I know it sounds old school and bullshit. Just humor me. Take a peek at it some of these days. I like it. Old school right there. Let's talk about, uh, another piece of, uh, old school PMC wants to know, was there ever any consideration to trying to bring in Tom Billington, AKA the dynamite kid to WCW when you were there from 89 to 93, it seems like he was healthy enough. He could have been a good opponent and, uh, would have fit in very well. I think, uh, not any anything serious. First of all, uh, D- Tommy was known, of course, <clears throat> the dynamite kid was half the, uh, British bulldog tag team. And that's what they were known for. Much like we talked about earlier today about the Freebirds, and Michael Hayes's role in that pr- process. Uh, Tommy, unfortunately had some bad baggage that you couldn't ignore. Now I'm not saying that he wasn't a great wrestler. My God. He was amazing, but he abused his body in more ways than one, not just in the ring. And so there was always trepidation about how much can we invest in this cat that we know has some issues. So I don't think it was ever seriously considered, but if the playing field had been level Conrad and he was willing to come in, uh, say, I always thought that WCW could have built a viable, uh, cruiserweight, junior heavyweight, whatever division. And better utilize talents of, of all sizes, because as it was at that era, unless you were just sensational, you're Ray Mysterio, like, or Ricky Morton, like a small guy, wasn't going to get a, wasn't going to cut a cup of coffee at the, at the grown-up table. The big guys are get that coffee and you got to sit over there with the little guys. So I'm always thinking, well, hell, some of these little guys under six feet, you know, 200 pounds or so are better than what the big guys. So they should have their own title. They should have their own storyline, but no, but you never had, if I, the only way that would have worked is to have a booker that was also a cruiserweight because the heavyweight bookers just didn't give them cowboy. Didn't Dusty really didn't right. the time of the time of day. It was old school. I'm not blaming Dusty or cowboy. I love both those guys. They booked but, what they grew up on and what they thought yeah, worked what, and what, what they knew, what they, what they were taught and, uh, it was learned behavior. And so. Uh, but Tommy would have been great in that area. You know, that's, that was when we started ringing. We brought in Brian Pillman, uh, with the same idea that let's get serious about pushing these amazingly talented, smaller guys. I've always been for that, but, uh, you get caught up in the, uh, day-to-day trends of the wrestling business. And until lately it's been trending big. It's getting back to more realistic now where guys of average size and in, in, in reality of the world are getting an opportunity to be stars. 
question here from a young wrestler. I'm 19 years old. I've been training to be a professional wrestler for almost four months now. Do you have any key advice to give a young up and coming wrestler like myself about the business? Well, I would say you really want to evaluate your school. You're going to, because that's, you don't want to leave there with bad habits. You want to learn, pardon me, the fundamentals, evaluate the school you're going to has a school you're going to ever produced a talent that has got a full-time contract with any wrestling company of note or minor note. If they haven't, you might want to reevaluate that. Now, if that's the only school you can go to and it's local and it's affordable, uh, by no means don't stop going. Right. But, but understand that you're going to need another level of teaching. So the, the tutelage you're getting now is a, as a, like a, a primer course, it's orientation to getting into a more viable school. The Dudley's got a great school. I just saw where Lance storm's going to shut his school down, which is a really going to be a sad thing for the business because he trains so many great people in a, in a great way. Uh, he's going to be missed as Lance. He's a good guy. And I'm sure somebody's going to take advantage of him, his talents and his ability to coach and teach, uh, somewhere soon, much sooner or later, if he chooses, but you know, all these schools are out there that OVW Al Stowe's got a good school at OVW. There are others. I'm, I'm going to forget. Somebody say, why do you mention my school? Uh, Rikishi's got a school, find a school that you, you can hang your hat on here. No pun intended because you, you're going to need to go to another spot, but while you're at this place, learn things that are vital. And that's not learning to do a hurricane Rana. It's running the ropes. It's getting up and down and not looking like a out of weight, over shape, out of shape cow on ice. Uh, don't spend all day learning to throw punches. Cause if your punches don't blacken an eye or bloody a nose, you must not be a very good puncher. So you can't rely on that one thing. So the, all the flat back bumps are the, that's where you can't do enough of those. That's where you're going to be on your more, more often in your career, your offense or their, their offense is going to normally end you up on flat of your back more often than not learning to do that is, is crucial, but the fundamental things are what you're looking for now. And are you working on your nutrition? Do you, do you, you look like you just had a litter of pups. Are you athletic shape? Would I notice you in a crowd? You know, what are you doing outside that training? to get ready to be a professional wrestler. It ain't easy young man, but I wish you only the best, only the best. You're 19 years old. You got time, but do it the right way. Don't take any chances and don't put learning a a high flying spot this early in your process ahead of your fundamentals. It will not work and your body will break down. And then you'll be telling your buddies at the bar. Yeah. I was going to be a pro wrestler one time. Hurt my back. Same story. You get the bars on the crown. Have you ever heard this one? Yeah. I had a major leg arm hurt my elbow. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck to you, but it ain't going to be easy, but great things aren't easy and great things are attainable. Just keep working. Don't turn your Jersey in. Snapchat wants to know about another one of the all time greats. Does Tully Blanchard get enough credit for his 1985? He had white hot feuds with dusty and Magnum TA using multiple belts the beginnings of the horseman, the guy absolutely killed it. And I don't think he gets his due respect these days. Probably not. He deserves it. Does Tully. <clears throat> he just worked with two of the hottest baby faces in the world. 
back to back and didn't lose, didn't lose a beat. He didn't lose his heat that I can, it wasn't discernible to me as a fan. Uh, he had great matches with both those guys who are both different workers now. Uh, So he's a phenomenal, I think what happened there, Conrad was that the success of the horseman overwhelmed any of Tully's individual success because Tully had more individual success before the horsemen were formed than did double a double a came in and double a was a great hand. Vince McMahon told me, or excuse me, uh, Bill Watts told me in mid South, there's some rotation there. He wrestled as Marty Lundy as an underneath guy, preliminary guy, not a job guy, a preliminary guy. And, uh, Bill told me, boy, he said, he's going to be really good one of these days because Bill loved the basic fundamental soundness, the toughness of his game, the perception that he brought to the ring, his attitude, you know, all those things. So, and of course that worked out. Arnold became one of the greatest of all time, but, uh, I don't think he found that acclaim as individually that Tully did before the horseman. But when, uh, when Tully got into the horseman and they had all the elements, including, you know, when Ole was there, of course, Nate, that became the identity. And I think that that overshadowed everything that Tully had done uh, previously, but it certainly set the stage for some good programs because they had some of the same adversaries he had before and there was history there. So uh, I think he's, <clears throat> I think Tully's one of the best all time heels that I ever saw. Psychologically, he was a giant. And I think that him and AEW, uh, you know, not only, uh, is he going to be an entertaining performer new invigorated, uh, that he's going to be able to help the locker room immensely. Can you imagine a young heel in AEW in the twenties? This, I wouldn't understand better the psychology of being a villain, the ring psychology of being an abyss of uh, being an antagonist. And who better to ask? Right. It's invaluable. So I, I, uh, I got a lot of time for Tully and I'm so glad he's back. You know, I didn't know he was coming back until, uh, we did that interview. I had no idea. They said, you did an interview. Well, I knew they doing the interview, but they said, we got a surprise in the interview. And I generally just tell them not to tell me because I, I don't actually, if the news gets out, they can't blame Jr. Cause I don't know. Right. So it was uh, really pleasant to see him. And I thought he hit a home run in that interview, his facials, his, his, his dead eyes. I said, man, you got to shoot Tully's eyes. His eyes are dead. They're scary. Black eyes. He's, 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 he must, he's might be, he's possessed or something, <laughs> but he's, he's going to be a great asset in, in many ways for AEW, without a doubt. Buckley has a question about AEW. He says, after calling many of his big matches in new Japan, what would you like to see from Kenny Omega in AEW that we might not have seen before? Uh, the best match since, uh, new Japan. The best match since Okada. That's what I want to see. I don't think we've seen, we have not seen the Kenny Omega. Now this is JR's opinion, folks. This is not a official statement from AEW or Tony Khan's office. This is me sharing with you guys. This is how I feel. I'm being honest about it. I am so happy he's on our roster because I know how good he can be. And I just have not seen the right setup the right story told the right, you know, set the table the right way, uh, with Kenny here in, in AEW, as uh, I saw in new Japan, in new Japan, he had <clears throat> amazingly, uh, made opponents. You got Okada three times in a year, right? Uh, that's pretty amazing right there. So, but I haven't seen him have a match to that level. Now 
you can easily say, well, there's nobody on your roster that's equal to Okada. Well, that may be true. It may not be true, but the bottom line is there's a story now, uh, between, uh, John Moxley and Kenny Omega. There's absolutely no reason that their match in Chicago on August 31st should not be on the level of any previous Kenny Omega match anywhere for any company. Same goes for Moxley. They're both, they met at the crossroads at the same place at the same time with the same, uh, background and same influences. We've got something to prove our way. We just need the, 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 uh, canvas. We're going to give you a 20 foot canvas, bring your own colors and paint, paint us an amazing story and be the best you've ever been. And I think that's what we're going to see in those guys. I just believe that we haven't had the right opponents for Kenny with the right buildup, great opponents at, at times, but they're just one offs. It's not a long-term story. And I believe that when we get on weekly TV on TNT, we're going to see everybody's game raised because they know they got to change their game up. You can't come back every week on television with the same material. You better, you better get diverse and he's a really smart guy. So I think that's, what's exciting about this deal. As good as we've had as the success that AEW's had, the sellouts and so forth. And, and God thank everybody for helping us out there. Uh, DC sold out. Well, Boston's going to sell out Pittsburgh soon. I think, uh, you know, Kenny's, Kenny's a, he's a bright spot to go to work around. He's, he's a really bright guy. And maybe he's been so occupied with that and a short, these short-term stories that he just hasn't been able to get his, his, his run together. But just wait and see what I tell you. When it starts on, on weekly TV, stays healthy, he's extraordinary. And I think he and Moxley will have a match for the ages in Chicago that I sure as hell would not want to follow. Matt Arude wants to know, other than the Black Scorpion reveal at Starcade, what are some of your favorite memories of working in St. Louis? Oh, <clears throat> meeting Sam Muchnick. Godfather of NWA, you know, uh, there was such a anti-Semitic, uh, racist organization for years. And Sam broke through being a Jewish man. He was the head, he was the head, head honcho. Uh, he became the, it's like becoming a, the Godfather in a, in a mafia and not being Italian. Sammy did it. And, uh, he was, he, he, he made so many people so much money. And of course the negative, of course we live in this negative society. Of course, we've got to go all the way to the other side of the coin and say, well, yeah, but how much money did he make? What he earned? That's what he made. What he earned above board. What he earned, uh, because he, not unlike any other promoter that I ever knew, uh, including Paul Bosch, and Leroy McGurk and cowboy and Anybody else that was in the era selling roll tickets, Conrad, all those tickets didn't get accounted for. Sure. You lessened your tax bill as much as you could, and you could screw the boys easier. So, uh, that was where that was. But Sam was an honorable man, a really a nice man to talk to, uh, had a great eye for talent. And he, I learned some things that, you know, that we should never as a promoter or, a, or, or off front office guy, uh, discount. Uh, integrity and class reliability. And that those concepts have not gone out of style in all these years in wrestling, and they're not going to go out of style anytime soon in wrestling or any other form of life. Great qualities to have folks. Jeff Baxter. Sam, go ahead. No, I just saying this meeting. Mr. Mushick was a 
toward the end of his life. Then we had a, uh, we had that, that NWA, uh, champions, honored the champions, Jack Briscoe and, uh, came in and Dory and Terry. And I think Lou was there, uh, Kaninsky, Harley, I was throwing out names. I think those guys are there, but that was like, uh, that was like bringing Sam's recruiting class back to, a a varsity uh, to the homecoming. They, all his boys to some degree or another that he, he used and they made them a lot of money, made them famous, more famous. So that was kind of cool. That, that event was a really cool event. I remember the, after the, after the show, the chocolate cut, the chocolate cake was prevalent. I love that. Jeff Baxter wants to know back in the eighties in mid South, I remember an incident where Dr. Death had to get 108 stitches and wrestled again later that night. Can you elaborate on exactly what happened? I always heard he took an errant elbow from Brad Armstrong. That's what it was. No more, no less. Uh, Brad, Brad, uh, and doc were working a TV match. Uh, I'm sure that Brad told doc to duck. He probably didn't hear him. So Brad came with his, uh, forearm shiver and the, the point of the elbow caught doc right above the eye, opened him up 107 or 108 legit stitches. The conversation after the show was, uh, the doctor tells cowboy says, uh, he, they took him to the doctor to get him sewed up and he, he had to get an ophthalmologist to, to sew him up. It was that serious, very delicate surgery. If there is such a thing in Bozier city. <laughs> so, uh, they might take it to a veterinarian for knowing cowboys saving money, but nonetheless, he got his soda comes back to TV getting done. So he's, he's asked Bill, he said, I guess, I, I guess I can go home. Right. And he said, you know, of course, cowboy looks like he's just called him a communist. Hell no. You're not going home. You're booked in Biloxi tomorrow. You're in semi main. Get your ass to Biloxi. I don't let him hit you in the eye. <laughs> and so, uh, and he said, plus you got promos to do. <laughs> I'm not going to get out of here. That you know, I was all swollen and ugly. He said, there's money here. Don't be stupid doc. So, but doc had this mass hundred, he got 107 stitches around his eye. This is not a wrestling legend deal. Uh, better probably 40 stitches or 10 stitches. Oh, but he just had a butterfly. No, he had 107 effing stitches and the discoloration was a classic. You can't let somebody walk out with a TV camera around and not get that on tape. And they, they did. So, but that's a true story. And that's why when I talk about tough guys, you know, doc was a amazingly tough human being, badass, four time, legit, all American in wrestling. Went to three bowl games. Oh, he started, you know, Connor starting at a big school like Oklahoma, Alabama, and then going right to the wrestling room in all American four times. Unbelievable. A, Unheard it's of. A, yeah. Unbelievable. Mark K. Fave had a question about that. He said, could Haku or Dr. Death take Brock Lesnar in a shoot? Boy, that's, a, that's a question. I don't know the answer to, nor would I ever want to see it because people will be maimed in that scenario. They will be, they will be, uh, left with visible marks more than just, uh, the great line by, uh, uh, and Tommy boy, that'll leave a mark. Well, you know uh, what, if something's leaving marks at your house right now, maybe you need to try the Donna trap indoor fly light. We've been talking about this for a while and I gotta say, it's probably our most commented on piece of business that we get tweets about everybody who uses this thing loves it. It's Dyna trap and, uh, the, it, the fly light specifically has changed the way Jr. enjoys his space. And, uh, specifically we're talking about this time of year, mosquitoes, 
flies, any sort of flying insect, Dynatrap can help you out. See, Dynatrap is the leading manufacturer of outdoor mosquito and insect traps, but now they've come up with a solution for the indoor pests. And everybody's talking about it. It's the Dynatrap fly light. It works day or night and it attracts everything flies, fruit flies, mosquitoes, whatever pesky insects. If I gotta say this thing really works, this is not just uh, us saying it because we want you to go get suckered into buying this thing. The <laughs> feedback we get online from this is unlike anything else we've ever promoted. Forget those disgusting fly strips. The Dynatrap fly light looks like a subtle night light that plugs into any outdoor outlet or indoor outlet. Rather it's super easy. We've been using it for a while here at the house. It's worked wonders and Jim, it's done a great job at your house as well. Right? A- absolutely. Here's the deal folks. Here's how much I believe in this product. I said, Oh, here it goes. This past weekend, I was over in Tulsa to visit my two daughters, two granddaughters, sons-in-laws or son-in-laws, whatever the hell they are. Uh, good guys. And we're outside by my daughter's pool and uh, enjoying the 98 degree weather. Uh, and I started getting annoyed by the bugs. And I said, honey, what do you guys do about these bugs? Oh man, I don't know. You can, there's nothing you can do for them. So yes, there is. And, uh, I got, I said, they're a sponsor for our podcast, but not because of that. I got them. They, they have eliminated my issues from my outdoor kitchen and, and doing my grilling and all that stuff. And I do more just, I, I grill all kinds of stuff out there, protein, vegetables, all kinds of stuff. I'm out there a lot. I got no issues now with flies, mosquitoes. It works. So I am so committed to this product. I'm going to get them, my two kids and their family for their outdoors. And they're going to love dad for it because it works. Simple as that. It works. Unless you just really enjoy the companionship with a goddamn fly or mosquito, have at it. That ain't so much for me and Conrad. We'd like to those summer guests to be absolutely gone. Absolutely. That's what, that's what I got. And we, you know what, JR, I got good news for you. I can get you 15% off for the kids. Dynatrap.com. It's D Y N A T R A P.com. And use that promo code JR and you'll receive 15% off of any of their products, including the Dynatrap fly light. Dynatrap, the safe, silent, and simple solution to household insect control. We love it. You guys will too. Uh, it's been a major hit here on the podcast. Let's wrap it up here. One more question. Uh, this one comes to us from Tony. What is the craziest story you have from your days as a referee? You sort of talked about, uh, breaking in the business and, and seeing behind the curtain with Harley race as a referee last week. Any other interesting referee stories you can share? Oh yeah. A lot of them are, a lot of them are more worthy for like Saturday night in Charlotte, the little course, uh, and they, they, they generally have something to do with some bodily function, uh, which is not too edifying. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think it was one story. Uh, this guy had, uh, I was referring to match this guy and he came in from Tennessee. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Bob something. Anyway, white guy, average build, you know, a typical, uh, territory underneath heel. So he comes in, he's wearing these mustard colored tights and they were very distinctive. They were, I'd never seen them mustard color before gold. Yeah. And yellow. Yeah. But not mustard. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, I, he, 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 he takes an arm drag, a good stiff, nice arm drag and he shits himself. So the Brown of the doo-doo starts evaporating through the 
mustard colored tights, nice little blend. And it was where the audience started. They started laughing a serious match. I mean, the baby face needs a win here and he's trying to get over and he's working the guy that shit himself and the shit got over, but the match didn't. And, uh, then I, another time of those deals, I got one more real quick one here. Leroy McGurk and I are broadcasting a match in the little bitty arena and on, on the Tulsa fairgrounds, not at, but on the grounds, little livestock building or something, little wrestling show had two rows of seats, two cameras, uh, stick mics, no headsets. And so this guy, same deal happens, different guy. He gets in there and he, I guess he made a, he, he had a large, large, a loud fart, but the audience gasped kid scared children. But it wasn't just the, uh, the, 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 um, the ammonia death smell. It was like liquid. And so now the audience is starting to laugh again. Thinking this, the toilet humor is hilarious. <laughs> it was McGurk is blind and doesn't know what's going on. Nobody can tell him in his headset. He don't have a headset. And so then he thinks we're off the air and the match is still ongoing, but there's a lot of movement. The guy that was wrestling, the guy that shit himself didn't want to touch him. It got to be awkward. That match never saw the light of day, but Leroy's thought we're off the air. He said, what's that smell? God damn it. What is that smell? It smells like somebody shit themselves. Now that's on the air back in the seventies. They would not have made, would not have been good. So I think most of the stories involve bodily functions, folks, and something along those lines. Uh, but there was always wrestlers are always great at trying to break, crack you up. And tell you stories. Frank Dalton told me one time, final one here. He had the guy in an arm bar and he says to me, he looks at me in the face, missing some teeth. Uh, it looked like he's belonged on a set of, uh, Mayberry, one of those mountain men. He says, if I jerk his arm off, will it come? <laughs> I laughed. My goodness. It's sad, isn't it? Join us this weekend for more <laughs> of this. It's Saturday night. Tickets are on sale now, Charlotte, North Carolina. It's jrandconrad.com. We're looking forward to this. We'll uh, have some special guests. We're going to have a good time. jrandconrad.com. It's this Saturday night. Of course, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, I should tell you that this Saturday is August 17th. And then, of course, at the end of the month, we'll be getting the band together for StarCast. JR will be doing meet and greets at Starcast right there in Chicago. You'll have your opportunity to meet him, get your picture with him, and even the king if you time it right. Uh, but maybe the main event of Starcast is that we're going to have a sit down with you and John Moxley, a live mic in his hand. Uh, you guys have probably got some more stories to share, huh? Yeah, some commonality. You know, we've both uh, had our tenure and long tenures in WWE. I'm sure he's got his, his I want to hear his side of the story. This, this, folks, this is not about JR on this deal. I want to. I want to try to be you guys represent you all, uh, and ask questions and get into, and get into conversation, follow up questions. I think that's what I can add to this conversation. A lot are the follow-ups and, uh, I, I got, Hey, I'm very, very interested in, in hearing what he's got to say and, and where he is and why he's here and where he wants to go. Uh, I have not spent more than five minutes talking to him since he's been back, uh, or since he's been on AEW. I didn't know he was going to debut and it happened. That was great. Uh, the last time he was in, we were in the same building, we we're different parts of it. I saw him after the show. Hey, good, good job. Thanks. Whatever. Uh, but that's about it. So I have never sat down with him and said, Hey, what's going on, man? You know, what, 
what's what's caused all what's causing all this as they used to say about nature and he's going to tell us so it should be a hell of a really eye-opening uh piece of business that i hope you folks will enjoy and and, and uh take part in it's gonna be fun check it out right now you can pre-order as long as you do so before the 19th uh you'll get not only starcast 3 on fight but you'll also get starcast 1 and 2 we're including it all in total it's like 70 hours worth of content including panels with sting uh, of course, more Jr. Eric Bischoff, Bruce Pritchard, Arn Anderson, Bret Hart. It is a who's who of professional wrestling available in the archives. Go check it out right now. Starcast on fight.com. Just pre-order by the 19th and you get one, two, and three for one low price. Of course, they're live. They're on demand, endless replays. You own it forever. Check it out. Starcast on fight. S T A R R C A S T O N F I T E.com. There's two R's in Starcast and fight is F I T E. Next up here. On Grill and JR, though, we've got SummerSlam 2009. And the week after that, we're going to talk about the one and only CM Punk. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to seeing you this Saturday night. Follow us on social media if you haven't already. It's at JR Grilling. And of course, he is at JR's BBQ. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Grill and JR with the voice of wrestling, Jim Ross. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.